What is the one quality that you possess that makes you think that you can walk out here and come to the ring and face the very best in the business? Ruthless aggression. The stipulations for this Sunday's Cadet Lewis Park match are as follows. I forgot to tell you. I lie! Who is your favorite wrestler of all time? Triple H! I'm not afraid of you! Now, you know what's your fault? The fight says chicks didn't do. Kurt Angle! to the Ruthless Aggression Podcast. Talking about Judgment Day 04 today. How about that? Right? Yeah? Yeah, Y'all ready to be judged? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm Levi, joined, as always, by that big, juicy Kyle. Kyle, what's going on, man? How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty good, Daddy-O. How's it going? And, of course, as always, to my left, it's that good old Jake R. It's Jake. One take Jake back in the booth. How are you doing, good sir? I'm, I'm actually I'm really good. I'm looking forward to this show. Um, yeah, really excited about this one. And let's let's do it. Let's get after it. And of course, just like I said just a minute ago, it's Judgment Day 2004. And is not near. <laughs> not that one. <laughs> it's another sort of end. It's kind of like after the end, you know? What will be waiting on the other side? The Undertaker. <laughs> so, of course, this event took place May 16th, 2004 in Los Angeles, California at the Staples Center. Home of the Los Angeles Lakers, of course. And I'm sure that's the, the only time. I'm sure. Yeah, but no one cares about the Clippers, you know. It's true. Not not at that time, anyway. <laughs> they didn't have, like, what, Blake Griffin? He, he was a Clipper, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't there yet. This actually reminds me of that cringy Bewitched movie around this time. Gosh. Oh. And she's like, guess what? I'm a witch. And he, and Will Ferrell's like, guess what? I'm a Clippers fan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. That's so awful. Wasn't that, wait, wasn't that just on Family Guy? No, that was that was genuinely in the trailer of the movie. <laughs> it did that in the movie. Like I thought they were just lampooning it on Family Guy as something absurd. That's ridiculous. No, they're just pointing out how freaking terrible that was. So you actually saw that movie? I, no, I, I only saw that bit from Family Guy. No, not I, I've never, I've not never seen Jake. it all the way through. It was one of those movie. It was I'm one of those sh- movies that would always be on like 
like uh, stars or something, and I maybe watch five minutes before going like, "This isn't Talladega Nights. I'm bored." <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I I'm sure not a lot of people saw that movie. It's probably nope. a movie you would see in the dollar bin at Goodwill. I've already forgotten what movie we're talking about. That's how bad it is. So let's keep it moving forward and stop talking about Bewitched. Oh my gosh, man! I know we like to talk pop culture here, but ah, uh, was neither pop nor culture. Of, yes, exactly. As a culture of like what the seventies, sixties, get out of here. I think it was a sixties show, yeah. Yeah. And then the very relevant two thousands reboot we were all asking for. <laughs> but we packed in eighteen thousand seven hundred twenty-two for tonight's event with two hundred thirty. Just waiting for the rafters, folks. With 235,000 buy rate on pay-per-view. And we are down, actually, from last year's 03. Main evented by Big Show and Brock Lesnar in the stretcher match. Uh, we are down uh, 317,000 last year. We are down to 235,000 this year. And, you know, it's kind of hard to top that main event. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, there's, like, such big hits as, like, Mordecai and such and... You know, the, the Dudleys doing their thing for the millionth time. So who wouldn't want to pay a big ticket? <laughs> Our theme song tonight is the generic Judgment Day theme song, as we hear just about every year. Did you guys feel judged when listening to this song? I certainly did. I certainly feel less judged listening to Limp Biscuit than I do listening to this song. <laughs> yes, yes. Our sponsor tonight is PlayStation 2. Ooh. And guys, I just got to give you an update. The reason I've been so busy, the reason it's been so long, but the gap between Backlash and Judgment Day, I've been playing Drakengard. Oh my goodness, shut up. Hey, hey, I'll be honest. I After the podcast, after I failed our, our listeners about not getting Drakengard to work, I finally got it to work, and it's <laughs> it's boring. It's not good. Oh. It was pretty generic. I got bored in like the first 10 minutes and I was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. I'll just go back to playing like Metal Gear Solid 3. <laughs> you ever think about the fact that that's somebody's favorite game? It has to be. Like somebody, like with all the people in the world, like I always think about this. That is somebody's favorite game. Somebody loves that game more than any other game in the world. That's just sad. Indeed. Right? <laughs> hey guys, it's official. If you like Dragon Guard, you're a fool. <laughs> And someone is out there like, ooh, that Jake from Ruthless Aggression Podcast and my show with Alex and Jake. I am going to cast a level 69 420 spell on him. Oh, like, you. You need to watch like out, nice. my guy. I think your soul will cry if you uh, keep oh, up the Dragon no. Guard slander. Which reminds me, the tagline for tonight is souls will cry. What does that even mean? Did your guys' soul cry in this show? <laughs> At one point, when I saw Scotty Too Hottie come out. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Hey, you trying to get some ruthless aggression heat with me? Hey, I love Scotty Too Hottie more than you do, but I like I was once he hits the banging it theme, it's not it's not it. I, Gosh, yeah. I agree with you there. But nevertheless, I think a lot of souls cried. On this event, I think a lot of souls rejoiced in the same way. So uh, why don't we get underway and dig into what is known as the Judgment Day 2004. How will we be judged when it's over? On the way 
we lived our lives? With passion, with malice, did we protect the innocent or exploit the vulnerable? Will the next world reflect our behavior here, rewarding the moral and condemning the wicked? Is there actually life after death, or are the memories we create here the only true afterlife? Surrendering our fate to those we leave behind. And if there is a place we go after this, who will be waiting on the other side? A callous judge, a ruthless jury, a merciless executioner. How will we justify our conduct, defend our actions, pay for our misdeeds? Or will we be welcomed unconditionally for the hell we've already endured? The questions are endless, and nothing is certain. But for now, there is one guarantee. Judgment Day is upon us. And now, SmackDown and PlayStation 2 present... WWE Judgment Day. what you should expect by now when it comes to these sort of serious Judgment Day or Armageddon shows. It's 10,000 times too serious for just like a fake fighting show. <laughs> yes. Men will die. And it never really feels right. But like that being said, when it comes to the vibes of Eddie Guerrero versus JBL, you know, that just puts a little extra ketchup on it. And mm -hmm. I liked it for so that match in particular and for Undertaker's match with Booker T because... You know, he's dead. It, it just fits. But for someone mm -hmm. like a Rene Dupree, it's just a mismatch. No. What do you guys think about the opening package? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's weird because this was a. If you didn't notice, this was a new voiceover guy. He sounded like just a generic movie voiceover guy. Like, Ugh, what happens to us when we die? Like, I miss you know the WWE guy or the spooky lady, and and so it kind of took a little away from it for me personally. But it was okay. Whatever. I kind of agree with what what you say, Levi. It's like uh, for for the matches that it makes sense for the the Undertaker versus Booker T. This makes sense, but when it's like, oh, there's a poodle on screen. Why why do we have? <laughs> I feel bad that like in the package, like hyping up the John Cena Renee thing, I was more concerned about the well being of the poodle than the feud. Oh my gosh, <laughs> for real though, there was a. Uh, I'll talk about it later, but there was a there was a time on SmackDown. Well, there were many times on SmackDown where I felt bad for this dog, but one in particular was John Cena said, choke on D's and throws nuts at Rene Dupree, but hits the dog. And I was like, dude, uh. what are you doing? Our, our, Maybe next our, time it can be cashews. <laughs> our positive thoughts go out to, to uh, Fifi, who is Fifi. most likely deceased. <laughs> so <laughs> rest in peace, Fifi. <laughs> rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes full circle. There you go. <laughs> and now, SmackDown presents Judgment Day. So cue the pyro. We got a 
Big Juicy set pew, pew, for this. Pew, pew. And so I'm handing it over to Big Juicy Kyle. Kyle, can you describe the set to our listeners? Oh yes. Honestly, like of all the of, of sets we've covered recently, this is the one I will say, please Google it, because it's a fantastic set. It's rad. Yeah, it's a big round tron, which I always like, you know, unique shaped trons for pay-per-view. I don't know why they just stand out. There's like Judgment Day letters kind of at the very back of the ramp that are actually cut out for metal and they have like a screen behind it kind of like uh, projecting fire graphics. So it looks really cool. Um, along the entrance ramp, it's like these really tall like cemetery fences and the back to the left of the right of the Tron are these big gigantic looming kind of like crooked crosses and everything's covered in like this dingy kind of white cloth and it just makes everything look really just ghostly and spooky like it's an incredibly good set like one of my favorites honestly thinking about it i love it yeah it's it's incredible like everything about this set makes sense nothing's silly we can talk about how like the the swinging blades from backlash are cool but they're they're kind of silly but there's there's no silliness with the set like you, you know that it's about to go down like it feels like you're in a graveyard honestly it feels like the definitive judgment day set it just yeah. feel it just feels right to quote Lita. I like this set better than I like the the set for WrestleMania twenty. <laughs> Ooh, that is a bold Ooh. statement. It's a bold take, but I'll I'll say it. Fight me. I can see why. It's a very very good set. It's definitely in the top five of what we've seen so far. So we cut to Michael Cole and Taz at ringside to welcome us to the show alongside Hugo and Carlos, and we are Undertaker. No, underway. One thing I'll point out about the presentation I didn't like, uh, kind of similar to, wasn't it WrestleMania where they used Comic Sans? No, um, that was uh, Bad Blood, I believe. No, 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 Bad no Bl- way out, no way out. No way out, yeah, they used Comic Sans. Um, they used like some kind of kindergarten chalk letter <laughs> font on this show. It was really weird. It's like, uh, Mysterio taking on, uh, you know. That's one thing I knew that I didn't have to take notes on. I'm like, one of them was going to bring it up. (laughs) It was weird. I don't know. The more things change, the more things stay the same. The Dudley boys are curtain-jerking to capitalize on the piping hot crowd once more. The following SmackDown after the draft, we learn the Dudley boys were traded to SmackDown alongside Booker T for Triple H. And we'll talk later about how Booker T was not receptive of the move. However, the Dudley boys seemed unfazed by it. They were not yet nefarious after the trade. You know, they were still operating as baby faces and competing in tag matches. You know, having a good time on SmackDown. Meanwhile, RVD ran into a series of unfortunate events. He tried reasoning with Booker about being a SmackDown superstar. You know, trying to be optimistic about it. Which led to a tag match with Booker and RVD facing Charlie Haas and The Big Show. Where we see Booker T walk out on RVD. A week later, RVD gets beat up by Booker T. The next week after that, he loses to Booker T in a singles match after random pyro goes off, allowing Mm. Booker to capitalize on the distraction. 
immediately following the match, though, Paul Heyman comes out, who's filling in for general manager Kurt Angle for a reason we'll get to shortly. Paul cuts a promo and tells Rob, talking about how Paul was successful running SmackDown and that the show was successful due to Paul's vision. He compares it to ECW and how that promotion had success due to Paul's vision. I know this is a lot, guys, but bear with me. Everything kind of intertwines, and it's they crammed a lot of story in between WrestleMania and Judgment Day. So uh, just it really did. Just bear yep. with me. <laughs> Paul Heyman says that RVD's been disgracing the vision of ECW ever since he got to WWE, and just as soon as the words ECW leave Paul's mouth, the Dudleys come out to confront Heyman, stating that if you're gonna talk about ECW, you can say it to us. And Paul Heyman, he does not back down. He then proceeds to get brutally honest with the Dudleys, and he asks, You want to know why, in the five months that I was SmackDown general manager, I never inquired about a trade or scenario that involved bringing the Dudley boys to SmackDown? The fact is, when you two left ECW and came to WWE, you became caricatures of your former selves. He then goes on to call them Vince McMahon's domesticated puppets and asks, When's the last time fans said, Man, did you see that did you see that Dudley Boys match last night? Did you see what those Dudley Boys did last night? And the Dudley Boys realize Paul is right. And so they snap on R V D. Which is good, you know? Paul's right. The Dudley Boys need something fresh. They they need to be something different than what they've been. And we've been saying that for the past umpteen episodes. So did you guys catch wind of that on SmackDown? Yeah, this is like, I watched the first several episodes and then I kind of petered out towards the end, but yeah, I definitely caught this and, and it was, you could see like there was a little bit of a, a shooting going on there saying, you know, you guys are just whatever right now. You got to go back to being the Dudleys and they weren't being the Dudleys. They were just kind of boring living off their reputation. From that, we see the beginning of RVD feuding with the Dudleys, but initially we see Eddie Guerrero aiding RVD in that fight. And when Eddie can no longer focus on helping RVD due to his feud with JBL intensifying, Rey Mysterio steps in to help the old weed man. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I want to mention about the entrances here is that I love when the Dudley boys come out and Bubba Ray says to Taz, We're not friends anymore! I don't like you! And Taz says, I don't like you neither! (laughs) <laughs> that, that was kind of funny I'll say that. just random shot at Taz I love Taz's ability to just never to just never be shook by anything that comes his way mm-hmm. oh come on dude you know he goes home and is like I can't believe Bubba said that to me Ooh. <laughs> yeah later but in the just moment just crying just in bed eating a bag of Sour Patch Kids wearing the sunglasses know. I feel like I feel like Taz should get more credit because I know like his SmackDown announcing isn't for everyone, but I just like how like in real life he's just like a very serious kind of hard ass. But <laughs> here it's like he he just plays like the comedic goofball just so well. I love him. I think Taz is great. Mm-hmm. I'm on record, and great. here it is again. Taz is a fantastic color commentator. Not for nothing. Devon clubs RBD from behind. Devon isolates RVD before tagging Bubba. Bubba chokes RVD with the ropes. 
This is followed by a spinning heel kick and a drop kick by RVD. We then get a monkey flip by RVD. And then we start out hot. With a spaghetti Oh, oh To Devon by RVD. RVD's taking the judgment into his own hands, and Devon has been condemned. RVD sets up for the Rolling Thunder, but Bubba attacks RVD from behind as he hits the ropes. One thing I'll say is, like, because RVD and the Dudleys have been together for so long, like, they have good chemistry working together. They've been smoking a lot of Mary, Mary Jane pots. Mary Jingus. A bunch of, bunch of marijuanas came from bunch. Mexico with my boy Ray Mysterio. Bunch of pot addicts uh, uh, eating crack pipes and whatever they do. Yeah, right. Injecting their marijuana. Jim Ross would not be talking about that as much as he likes chocolate cake. Oh. <laughs> I just ain't got no one to write to. I ain't got no one to write to, but I got a fat dude with my name on it. Jim. <laughs> Guys, you can guarantee whether it's Raw Presents, SmackDown Presents, or in the future, ECW Presents. We're going to be talking about Jim Ross. <laughs> it's impossible not to. I think it's hilarious. Let me just go ahead and throw this out here. I think it's hilarious. One of the, you know, we, we, we get a mild amount of feedback on shows and stuff, but one of the biggest pieces of feedback that we've gotten came in our WrestleMania 20 review when we were like, hey, should we tone down the JR jokes? And so many of you listeners said, please don't stop the Jim Ross jokes. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny. It's like, was the what audio they, good? What? I don't know. Was the content good? I don't know. But don't you dare stop talking about Jim Ross. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was around this point in the match, though. I think Taz makes a comment about the Dudleys, and he calls them 55,000-time tag team champions. <laughs> <laughs> that made me just laugh. He's like, oh, whatever. They're just like a 55,000 tag team champions. <laughs> It's like true. It was like last year when they beat the uh, La Resistance or whoever. And Jim Ross is like, no, 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 18th time tactic. I'm like, what? Good grief. But nevertheless, RVD dodges a clothesline from Devon. Bubba smacks head with Devon. But Bubba regains control as RVD is low bridge to the floor. Tags out to Bubba. Elbow to the berries of Bubba Ray Dudley. The Bubba berries. Bubba then gets a kick to the face and a spinning heel kick to the head, which was so convincing it made me say, oh my gosh, was that real? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Leg sweep, and then we get the hot tag to Rey Mysterio. Yuck up, yuck up. Springboard sent on to Bubba. He goes for a punch on Devon. Springboard crossbody on Bubba. Rey goes for the pin, but only gets two. Head scissors takedown and drop kick by Mysterio. Devon trips Mysterio, saving Bubba in the process. During this during this whole match, Bubba Ray is like just really loud. Like it seems more than usual. Like his outfit, yeah. he is very loud. Mysterio Centon is blocked by a dumping hot shot by Bubba. Seriously, he just dumps Ray on the top rope like a sack of potatoes. Mm-hmm. We get a tag to Devon. Scoop slam and a leg drop. He covers, but it's only good for two. Mysterio fires up, but Devon ends that with a reverse spinning elbow. Devon Irish whips Mysterio, and Mysterio springboard bulldogs Devon out of nothing. It's beautiful execution there. 
Bubba distracts the referee while Mysterio makes the hot tag attempt to RVD. However, it's not seen by referee Nick Patrick, allowing those dang stinking deadlies to get even more of an advantage. They don't do that enough anymore where the babyface team is foiled by, you know, legitimate. Foiled again. It's good, but it frustrates me. <laughs> but it should. <laughs> yes. Mysterio is placed on the top rope, and now he's in the Tree of Woe. We get a huge chest slap by Bubba. Mysterio counters for a cutter from the tree of woe position. I thought that was really cool. It takes uh, a. I have to dis- disagree. It takes that a lot of cool at all. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Oh really? That's how you feel. Oh huh? really? You don't, you, you don't think tree of woe cutters are cool, huh? No, I, I think I'd rather um, I'd rather Mordecai come out and put him in a headlock again. Gosh, you know what? When you put it that way, me too. He's got a fair point there. We get a moonsault by Mysterio. Uh, He goes for the cover and the pin, but only gets two. But then we actually get the hot tag to Rob Van Dam. And it's burning hot. We get clotheslines and spinning heel kicks connect. Devon eats a springboard spinning heel kick. Pump kick to Bubba Ray Dudley. Clothesline to Devon. RVD scores with the Rolling Thunder on Devon. He goes for the pin, but it's broken up by Bubba. And honestly, the breakup looked a little stiff, and I'm thinking it may have been a receipt for that spin kick. Ooh. Might have been. Who knows? Mysterio attacks Bubba with knees, which I'm just thinking you should preserve those, Ray. You know? <laughs> I had 11 surgeries on my right knee. Let's have an entrance where you just shoot from the sky and land right on your knees. Okay. <laughs> Mysterio then finds himself in a fatal situation as Devon dishes out a vicious spagingo to the floor. Oh! They want blood. I'm telling you, man, at, uh, appropriately named Judgment Day. Dudes are dishing out judgment. Bubba looks for the what up. But Mysterio crotches Devon, damaging the berries. Ooh. And he then hits a Bronco Buster on Bubba Ray Dudley across the ring. It's weird to see anybody but X-Pac do the Bronco Buster. Okay, let me ask. What do you guys think about that move? No matter who does it. I hate that move. Yeah, no matter who does it, I always think it looks weird. Especially, like, you know, back in uh, Attitude Era, and it's like, DX, suck my wiener! And then he'd do it. It's like, oh, no, my wiener's in your face. Isn't this funny? It's like, no, it's very awkward. It doesn't look like it hurts that much. It's just kind of awkward. It's just kind of awkward and inconvenient. Like, this is uncomfortable. It's like the reverse reverse of a stink face. Get your venus initial out out of my face. Like, for real. Das venus schnitzel, ja. Stop waving your banana in my face. I don't even want it. Banana like juice. <laughs> uh, RVD elevates Mysterio for a beautiful catapult hurricanrana. They go for the cover on Devon, but Bubba breaks it up. The, the Dudley set up for 3D. RVD trips Bubba and Devon onto the middle rope for a double 619 by Rey Mysterio. RVD hits the five star frog splash on Devon, and that's good enough for the three and the win. Everybody's happy. 
Everybody happy. Jake, let's start with you. What did you think about this match? Fine. Thumbs middle. It's, I mean, how many times do we have to watch the curtain jerker boys? I mean, yeah, and, like, if you're going to build them up and you're going to make them these big, bad, mean guys, like, let them, let them win one. I don't know. It's, it's just, it was a match, and the crowd seemed to like it, but it was, it was just kind of a match. It was there, and it existed. So, thumbs middle. Yeah, uh, for me, thumbs middle, too. Um, kind of same sentiment. Just, like, I don't know, it's different. Like, I, I'd imagine at the time, maybe it would be more into them. I don't know. I remember as a kid thinking they were cool. Uh, all the time, even during this era, but like, I guess consistently watching the pay-per-views back-to-back, you just start to notice the patterns, and it just kind of gets tiring, and so it's like another Dudley opener. But, it, you know... Well, it, we know that this team isn't really going to go anywhere, Mysterio and, and RVD, like, yeah. even without even without having the, the beauty of hindsight, like, you know this team's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, and, and like, uh, you know, fundamentally, you know, it's a fine match crowd was into it but you know i could just take it or leave it as thumbs middle you know wow i i feel uh, i feel different here because i say thumbs up i of course i say the match was a whole lot of fun i think without ray mysterio it would probably be a thumbs middle for me but i think he really brought it together in a way that especially the ending was just a whole lot of fun i i think one of the things that kind of did it for me was i think it just went kind of too long like it's it, that, it, yeah yeah, if it was shorter, I probably would be giving it a thumbs up. But there's a point, like, after the interrupted pins, it's like, ugh, come on. <laughs> it's like, bring it home already. They probably did it that way because the roster's kind of thinned out, and it shows in the middle of the show. I'll say, to like to Jake's point, RVD really needed the win, so I, I'm not angry with them getting the, the win because yeah, the, no. he's been so antagonized on SmackDown for the past umpteen weeks. So uh, it's, I think he yeah. needed the it, win it, here. And, and people love love RVD. They love Mysterio. So it's like, you know, I don't think people paying for the show are going to be upset. So we cut backstage to uh, uh, Josh Matthews. Nerd. <laughs> He's attempting to get an interview with Booker T. He says there's been strange noises coming from his locker room all night. So he, he, you just hear just. <laughs> hey man, I'm taking a dump of Rooney back here. Uh, been eating too many of them hungry man. <laughs> oh man. I'm lactose intolerant and I'm still suffering from when Stone Cold poured the milk in my face. Still suffering three years later. My goodness. Oh, I got irritable bowel syndrome. I gotta say, my beer battered chicken wasn't sitting right. Sucker. <laughs> I gotta say my short ribs and mashed potatoes with brownie and corn was not good. <laughs> Next time I'm gonna go get a bank with Salisbury steak. No, bank was for suckers. <laughs> Forget Marie Callender. He'll turn Wanna on get that way. Marie Callender's chicken pot pie, sucker. <laughs> If you want to tell you, there's only one way to go. Michaelitas, they got 11 grams of protein, sucker. He's just like in the freezer aisle, just pointing out all the good food to people shopping there. What are you doing here, Booker T? He's reading the nutrition facts off everything. Frozen burritos. <laughs> oh my gosh. 
Go buy a Monterey frozen burritos. <laughs> oh man, have you tried the new deep dish macaroni from Hungry Man? What? <laughs> hey, shut up! It's good. <laughs> macaroni and cheese. Anyway, strange noises may be related to Hungry Man, may be related to voodoo. <laughs> I don't know. Let's find out. <laughs> it's either voodoo or poo poo. One of the two. I like, uh, so at this point, um, you know, Josh Matthews gets to go inside and he just like scurries, like swoop right against the wall just for the optimal camera shot. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he barged in and then scurried. I'm like, what is he doing? He's like, well, let's go inside. Oop. Whoop. Okay. Huh, let's talk. It was so awkward. Because the room is <laughs> too tiny and there's candles everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, like, it looks like something sexy is going on in there. I know. I, I, like, there was some in a circle on the floor. It's supposed to be like, yeah, it's a ritual. But, like, you don't really see it too clearly. It just looks like he's, like, in setting some mood lights or something. I got I got Queen Shamel coming in here in a minute, sucker. You gotta go. Bob Bear uh... makes me horny, sucker. <laughs> you just hear, put a little ash on it. Just playing in the background. <laughs> it's a book of man, y'all. <laughs> So, yeah, he basically barges into this tiny locker room, air quotations. It's more like a closet where Booker T is just with a bunch of candles like he's performing a seance or something. Booker T wants to make it known he's one of the top stars, or no, rather, the top star on SmackDown. Bigger than the RVDs of the world, and now he has the power to beat The Undertaker as he holds up a tiny bag, which we'll get all into a little later. I got all the power I need right here in my sack. <laughs> we cut to the arena where we see Kurt Angle making his entrance, being pushed to the ring in a big cart by Luther, don't call me Roman, Reigns. Hey, don't don't sell it short. He, he push, he put, they play Kurt Angle's theme and they push out an enormous box. <laughs> and it's not clear that it's Kurt Angle. It's just a giant box. It's a goblin cooker. Yeah, and then all of a sudden... Kurt Angle pops out of the top of the thing, you know, Rey Mysterio style. It's like, it's, booyah, it's, it's, booyah, booyah, Kurt Angle. You know, wasn't it at uh, WrestleMania or, or the last pay-per-view where Ray did his entrance, a little pop-out entrance from, like, a little black box rather than the stage itself? Because I guess they couldn't fit it. Maybe they retrofitted it for Kurt. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, he's just he's just up there on top of this thing with a microphone. They forget to adjust the pressure and Kurt just goes flying. <gasps> <laughs> Breaks his other leg. You know, he's talk Kurt has been... Kurt. I'll get all into this, but, you know, Kurt's been talking about how he broke his leg and everything. Stephanie, she was watching the SmackDowns with me, and she pointed out, why is the cast over his pants? <laughs> I didn't even notice that. I didn't either. I just accepted it. I was like, huh. He really should be wearing, like, shorts or, like, windbreaker pants or something. But his literally, his suit pants are under the cast. <laughs> so okay, may maybe maybe he took the pants, snipped out the middle, and then just tucked it in the top and bottom just to make it look like he was wearing pants. But then made... <laughs> so good. But, then... but no, you're right. He just yeah. literally put a fake cast over his pants. <laughs> I love it. I love wrestling so much. The reason why Kurt Angle is in this wheelchair is pretty grim. One week on SmackDown... Big Show asks for a match with WWE Champion Eddie Guerrero. And Big Show says that if he can't beat Eddie, then he'll quit. And, well, 
It's the pink slip. Ooh. For AEW superstar Paul White. He's not a super. He's a. He, he's on the microphone. Microphone check one two. He's a rapper. I've had a show on Netflix and now I'm on broadcast. Big Show loses and cries as the fans sing farewell to him, which sounds like what, Jake? Na 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 na. Na na na. Hey, hey, hey. Goodbye. Very good. As Big Show is leaving, Tori Wilson can be heard in the background laughing. Big Show thinks it's about him and he confronts Tori. Which sounds like what, Kyle? I can see the genuine fear in your eyes. I, I'm very afraid right now. You sound very scared. It's convincing. I'm so scared. Oh my god. Someone please I'm get you. I'm get you. <laughs> angle, I need your help. Oh, I'm running. I'm running away from you now. I'm, I'm climbing up this to a higher point. Wait, wait, wait. You're, get, you're getting ahead of yourself. You're getting ahead of yourself, Tori. He's like chasing her as she's going to jump off herself. <laughs> wait, we haven't read that part of the script. Wait. <laughs> wait. <laughs> wait. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, so. <laughs> I didn't know playing Tori Wilson was going to be my favorite part of the show. <laughs> you didn't anticipate that one today. No. So, Tori, she desperately tries to explain she was not laughing at him, but her attempts are in vain, unfortunately. As Tori tries to leave the arena, Big Show once again corners her and smashes the window of her car and then he literally tosses the car over with his bare hands yeah i remember like she's like you know wwe diva star uh vince's uh big booby pupil and she's driving like some <laughs> crappy like sedan like obviously just meant to be junked that really got me thinking. I was like, okay, it's 2004. Was that like a popular model of car then? Is that just what looked cool? And I'm I'm glad you're saying no. It's just a no, meant thing to be like tossed. It was, yeah, it looked like it was like a 98 something. Like that they, thing looked funky. $500 for it at an auto auction. Mm -hmm. Each pound that the big show is, they paid $1. Like, the car does not run. Vince is like, buy it. Damn it. I'll have the big show flip it over. So. It's a three feet tall, five hundred dollar car. <laughs> Wait, a three foot tall car? It's like a clown car? <laughs> I don't know. Leave me alone. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know how tall cars are. Um, you like this picture of a car? <laughs> big show's like, well, you won't like it anymore. And just smashes the windows. Uh, it just, you know, what's funny, you know. Before he smashes the windows of the car, uh, he's kind of like huddled down, almost like the fetal position. And Tori's like going to like pat him on the back of his head, and he's like, "Ooh, I don't need your pity." So, so Big Show he tosses the car, uh, which was sort of believable, you know, as small as the car was. Uh, it just honestly reminded me of the time they aired Braun Strowman pushing over a semi truck on Raw, <laughs> or, or the ambulance, or 
Yeah, I was going to say, uh, it made me want to look that up on YouTube, and unbeknownst to me, he has pushed over a semi-truck, a limousine, mm-hmm. and an ambulance. No subtlety at all. <laughs> but none of it was as cool as when Brock Lesnar ripped the car door off. Like, that was cool. Like, yeah, because that was cool. That was real, you know? Yeah, and he nearly clocked that fan with the door when he tossed it, too. <laughs> and the best part is, he cares not. He super doesn't care. He cares no. It's okay. He uh he looked strong when he got jobbed out to Goldberg. <laughs> Anywho, Tori runs away, but eventually, towards the end of SmackDown, general manager Kurt Angle gets word that Big Show has Tori Wilson on a ledge and is threatening to throw her off. King Kong no, style. Like at least three more booby covers to do. Kurt he just does like the big he does the big chop on her chest and just like pops her fake titties. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna end her career. <laughs> Was that like a balloon? <laughs> I don't know, yeah. Just deflates. <laughs> Kyle, do you know how they work? I guess. I don't know. No, that was me that made the noise. I was about to say. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> so, Kurt runs over to try and save her. He, he scales up the, the scaffolding or whatever it is. Uh, he tries to talk Big Show down, but in a cruel twist of fate, Big Show gazels. Party out of nowhere. He gazels Kurt and choke slams him off the perch. You would think that Big Show murdered Kurt Angle. Yeah, the way they the way they filmed it. Kurt is just laying on the concrete, leg contorted and blood emerging from the back of his head. Yes, like good god. Honest take here though, I took this so seriously as a kid. I thought Kurt Angle, while probably not dead, would probably never wrestle again. What did you guys think about it. this? It was a little, a little close, a little close to the bone. The thing in wrestling, like the more you say something, like the less real it is to me. And so, like every time he's like, ah, "I'll never wrestle again because I died, almost died." It's like the more you talk about something, the less real it becomes to me. At first, I was like, "Oh wow, like they just about killed Kurt Angle, like that. That's pretty brutal. I wonder what's going to happen next." And like, it's so clear that it's just a- angling. Pardon pardon the wording, but towards a big in-ring return while he probably actually recovers from a surgery. Maybe it's angling towards a big show. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) So all that to say, that's why Kurt Angle's in a wheelchair. And so he's out here on his big ramp thing pushed by Luther, don't call me Roman Reigns, who is making his Ruthless Aggression debut, by the way. Uh, guys, I gotta ask, what did you think about Luther Reigns' scathing bald spot? I think he's a scathing bald spot on the show. Ooh, Luther Reigns' nuclear heat. <laughs> yeah, Kurt, he cuts a, a you know a heat-seeking promo on the Los Angeles crowd, calling them self-absorbed, always on their cell phones. He even takes a shot at the Lakers, more namely Kobe Bryant who himself was caught up in the biggest scandal of the year, possibly. Jake, if I understand correctly, you've done a little research on this topic. Can you uh, share with our audience uh, what this was all about? 
I can, yeah. Um, so in 2004, uh, in actions that happened in 2003, uh, Kobe Bryant was in Colorado and accused of rape. Now, I have a, uh, a news article from ABC News Australia um, that basically lays out the allegation um, pretty, pretty well and pretty succinctly. It's a classic thing. It's where... You know, if someone has done the work for you, don't try to redo the work. Like, there's no reason for me to try to paraphrase what someone said very well. So, uh, from ABC in Australia, in June 2003, Brian, uh, Kobe went to Edwards, Colorado for knee surgery, staying at a luxury lodge and spa in, in Cordillera. Uh, the then 24-year-old Laker was already a household name. The woman, who was not identified at the time and was 19, told police that Bryant raped her in his room on June 30th uh, after arriving in the hotel near skiing town of Vail. She was a concierge at the hotel and a college student. Bryant was arrested in early July and said he'd had consensual sex but denied assault. Um, this He was married at the time to his wife, Vanessa, and there, there was a, a bunch of jokes going around about the size of the diamond ring that she had on during this whole, um, yes, I'm very sorry for what I've done to everybody I know, so on and so forth. It went on for about a year, them trying to decide what evidence the jury should hear. Prosecutors claimed that that Bryant forced himself upon her. I'm not going to go into the the nitty gritty details. You guys can look it up online. This is almost a 20 year old case. You can you can find it. But essentially, what it came down to is the case was dropped because she was receiving death threats from Lakers fans. Like, oh, if you if you fuck up our chance to pardon me to to go to the the finals, like we're gonna find you and kill you. Like that's oh my sort of gosh. Stuff. And so, like, she's like, I don't, I just don't have the energy to pursue this case. And so she dropped it, but they later settled out of court um, in 2005 for an undisclosed settlement. So it's, a, it's the classic, if he hadn't done anything, why would he have settled out of court? Um, but, you know, the court system is what it is. It's all just kind of icky. Yeah, that's that's like the the long and short of it though. Like and I remember during the playoffs they would have they would have splits because he would be flying back and forth from Colorado to Los Angeles to play games. And he would have to appear in court and then fly to Los Angeles to play games and they would be like, "Oh, this is how many points a game Kobe is averaging on days he has trial versus days he doesn't have trial." It was ridiculous. Who ended up winning the NBA championship either that year or the following year? 2004 was the Detroit Pistons. Okay. What, okay. What about 05? Uh, you know? Starting starting five of Chauncey Billups, Rip Hamilton, Tayshawn Prince, Rasheed Wallace, and Ben Wallace. Benoit? Benoit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking of, the same people that would send death threats for Kobe Bryant in this situation are likely the same kind of people who say to this day that Benoit should be in the Hall of Fame. Right. Right. Well, it's, this is this is body of work, man. Hey, you can appreciate a body of work and not condone the person. You know, hold them accountable. I'm I'm kind of glad we live in a different day and time now. To that, these things are so visible. We don't have to cling to these things. There's still people that do, and defend icky people when they do icky things. Icky people, icky things. But anyway, all right. That's that's not good. I shouldn't make a fun song for icky people. Fuck you, icky people. <laughs> <laughs> icky things, though. The moral of the story. Don't be icky. So, Don't be icky. So, so back to back to ruthless aggression here. Uh, Kurt he wraps up his promo by saying he can't wait to leave, and he hopes after he leaves that LA has 
the biggest earthquake ever. <laughs> that line made me laugh out loud so hard. Oh it, like it worked too, which is the best part. Like if you're like, oh boo, no, we're not gonna have, we don't have earthquakes here. Yeah, when he left the town the following day, there was a big earthquake there. It, it actually worked. The words of Angle. You see, like a camera, it's just Kurt Angle just shaking the ground vigorously. Just like, I know that. <laughs> Kurt Angle doing push-ups and making the ground just rumble <laughs> under him. You know, honestly, apart from the earthquake thing, he's probably being honest. I'd never really hear positive things about Los Angeles. Unless you live there, then people who live there have to act like it's cool. Uh, I've always heard just from people to say it's like the actual city, city itself. It's like it's just a big, busy city it's not fun but like the surrounding areas are just pretty good you know it's kind of like i don't want to live in nashville but it's like the surrounding areas aren't bad you know yeah yeah and it's kind of cool to go down broadway every once in a while just just to be fair gotta play the gotta play the face for la <laughs> for all our la listeners <laughs> both of them <laughs> kurt then demands tori wilson to come out he blames her entirely for his predicament he even said on smackdown uh in a promo that he can't have sex with his wife anymore, which uh, still true. Oh. Ooh. He tells stories that she was responsible for ending his career. It's only fitting that she be responsible for the end of hers. So if she loses this match, she'll lose her job. <gasps> The next match is uh, Tori Wilson versus Don Marie. Was there any buildup for this, or was it just like we need two women? Barely. It we was. just talked about the buildup. <laughs> well, I mean, like the buildup was like not anything with Don Marie. It's, it's more. Like, hey, remember when I killed your dad? <laughs> I guess that's it. What kind yeah. of build do you need after that? This is her f- <laughs> former stepmom. I don't know. Like <laughs> if. They- if the spouse the dies, <laughs> do you cease to be the step-parent? No. Well, I don't know. This is still her stepmom. They didn't get divorced or anything. I don't anything. know anything about all that. They didn't get divorced. Yeah. This is the second ever stepmother versus stepdaughter match. <laughs> to my knowledge. I don't know. Was Ring of Honor doing stepmother versus stepdaughter matches? Pretty know. hot. <laughs> we get a lock-up to start. Snapbear and Neckbreaker by Tori. Tori ducks a punch and clotheslines Don twice. Don sends Tori into the corner. Tori elevated to the apron. Don bangs her head off the turnbuckle. Oof. Tori looks for a crossbody, but Don, oh man, with a veteran status, she's got it scouted and dodges the crossbody. Don slams Tori into the mat over and over. Elbow across the apron by Don. Tori is dragged to the floor. Don stomps Tori on the floor, and let me just say, it may be top five worst stomps in wrestling history. <laughs> yes. Tori is drop kicked to the floor by Don, and then she hits a leg drop on the floor to Tori. Don pulls Tori into the ring. She goes for the cover, only gets two. Don eats a boot in the corner. 
We get a sunset flip by Tori. One, two, two. And I, I gotta say, like, I wish she'd stop doing sunset flip because she sucks at it. That's the only move she knows. She thinks it's cool. There's so, like, there's, like, no flow. Oh, yeah, what does flow look like then, Kyle? Oh. Uh, like this. I'm doing a big wave with my arm. I'm breakdancing. I wish you could see it. This is an audio podcast. I wish I could see it, too. Jeez. Jeez. We get a roll up, and if anybody remembers <laughs> this match, it's for this reason alone. As Tori pulls down Dawn's britches, exposing her thong. Her entire like, butt. It's like the only notes I took in this match. It's just, oh, well, you can see Dom Marie's butt cheeks. <laughs> and then it was like a, a club in a dark room, and there's just flashes everywhere. Everybody's it was, it was taking pictures. Don Marie wanted to go home right away, but then she realized she's like, I can't win the match, though, because then we have to figure out how to unfire Tori Wilson. So she has to like, get out of the pin that she's in to, to reverse it and try to, to lose the match. She would rather keep going and show her butt than for Tori Wilson to get fired. I mean, mm -hmm. she stood there with everything hanging out there for a solid 30 seconds. Like, hey, everybody. Yeah, I thought, I thought she would try to, like, you know, pull her britches up, but no. <laughs> That's what she gets for wearing two big giant holes in her britches, like held together by a metal clasp. And the britches are just thin, like. Was, it, was that like a legitimate break, or was that planned? I feel like it was I mean, planned, but I don't. I want to say it was. Yeah, it was just one of those things where I don't really carry the way. It's like, oh look, butt cheeks, huh, cool. But <laughs> you, you want to say it's planned? It's tough, right? Like. Those things happen, but as recently, like, it, it seems like the type of thing that Vince McMahon would be like, hey, do you remember when Janet Jackson's boob came out? Oh, gosh, Let's yeah. do that with Don Marie's ass. And her butt cheeks. So, backslide by Tori, and Don cannot kick out. Tori wins with another victory over her stepmom. Oh. Kyle, what did you think about the match? Five star classic. No, um, it was it was not good. <laughs> it was just like two women who are certainly uh, not hired for their wrestling skill, trying to put on a wrestling match, and uh, yeah, I guess trying to do the best they can, but it's just simply not good enough. So uh, thumbs down. <laughs> it was yeah, it was bad. I I I thought that the neck breaker was was nice. I, I'm trying to trying to be nice. Uh, no, this is a bad match. <laughs> thumbs down. Yeah. I'll say thumbs in the middle, pointed towards down. Actually, it may, but it <laughs> it may be the most inoffensive match they've ever had. <laughs> right. This just. I so guess so. Average. Like, uh, Jake wasn't necessarily along with us for this Don Marie, Tori Wilson, Al Wilson journey, but. Kyle and I saw some pretty bad stinkers. Yeah, I guess I just look I just look more fondly at that because the story surrounding it was so sensational and dumb that it just kind of added to it, even if the match was awful. Whereas this, like, there's nothing. <laughs> right. It the match wasn't good, but it was at the very least watchable. Yeah, fair enough, man. Still, I'd still say thumbs down and leave our stocks. But gosh, anything longer than three minutes is just no. Don't do it. Did you say three Wait minutes? a minute. Did I just hear myself say three minutes? No, this is not three minutes good of the night. It just can't be. 
but you know well, the next match is three minutes <laughs> wait a minute Ooh. we cut backstage to john bradshaw layfield hey everybody it's bradshaw in a segment that has been scrubbed from peacock and is largely unfindable online the best I could gather is from Scott's blog of doom where he recalls JBL is happy to be here because he's tired of campaigning all over the country and seeing a bunch of Eddie Guerrero's nowhere is worse than right here in Los Angeles, but there are some good people like the ones who wash his car and polish his boots in JBL's America. Everybody speaks English and there aren't people with eight or nine greasy kids on welfare. Oh my God. So, yeah, uh, first of all, why scrub this from the, the the Peacock when there are things on SmackDown which are way worse? <laughs> like, I get it, but I'm just like, be consistent, you know? I don't think they should yeah. scrub any of this, but gosh. JBL, what are you doing? I'm, vicious, I'm viciously anti-censorship. Yeah. It, it's like, I, I get it, it's like... You know, it's kind of like Molly racist thing he's saying, but it's like that's, it's the past. It's, it's the yeah, it's it's the past. You know, it's like you watch it with context. You know, it's like it's I can still like, watch comedies that you know by today's standards would be really tasteless, but it's like, oh well, yeah, that was, was made like twenty years ago. It's what's whatever. It's a different time. You know. Also, at the same time, like JBL is not a character to to uphold for his virtue it's not like we're saying hey everybody look at how amazing and awesome jbl is uh, jbl's character is like as a person like he's he's the heel in this situation he's the bad guy like i don't under like people who don't understand the wrestling dynamic like if if nobody's bad if nobody's evil then what do you have you have a bunch of a bunch of guys just jumping around and, and fighting for no reason but yeah, I mean, I, I, it's like I don't, I don't it's think hard. they should have, I don't think they should have scrubbed it at all. Of course, you know, anything really from there because it's just kind of stinky. Because you wanted to see it as it was presented. You don't have art. to condone it, just to be able to watch it. It's the past, you know. It's art. Let it stand. With an F. Hey guys, hope you're liking the cast. But uh, we gotta go to a commercial so please. Shrek Fiona! Look, here comes Sleeping Beauty! Oh. I hate these ball shows! Flip over to Wheel of Torture! You are cordially invited. Dinner is served! Everybody dig in. Don't mind if I do, Lillian. <laughs> to meet the family. It's easy to see where Fiona gets her good looks from. <laughs> Make new friends. <laughs> Pray for mercy from... Puss. A bullet. If we need an expert on licking ourselves, we'll give you a call. And discover what happens. Wrecking Donkey on another whirlwind adventure. After Happily Ever After. Now, where were we? Donkey! Ah! DreamWorks Pictures presents Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy, Cameron Diaz, and Antonio Banderas. Shrek? For you, baby, I could be. Shrek 2. Give me that box. Donkey? You're a stallion, baby! Rockstar Games presents Red Dead Revolver. You're helpless to prevent the murder of your family. Now, years later, you will get your revenge. Take out Renegades with blazing gunplay. Dual no life's intense showdowns. Red Dead Revolver. Coming May 
4th to PlayStation 2 and Xbox. Rated M for Mature. Pepsi Blue has been discontinued. Rip in peace. For John Bradshaw Layfield, the pursuit of the WWE Championship is business as usual. But for Latino Heat, a gutless attack too close to home just made things very personal. My God! Eddie Guerrero has absolutely snapped! John Bradshaw Layfield, Eddie Guerrero, the WWE Championship. SmackDown presents WWE Judgment Day, live this Sunday only on Pay-Per-View. Introducing new Doritos Rolitos. An easier way to eat your favorite snack. We've taken the bold taste and big crunch of Doritos and rolled it into a bite-sized shape that's way easier to eat. I can do that. You wish. Told ya. Gotta get new Doritos Rolitos. Have you never sorry. called him Scott Too Hot? I'm sorry, but that tickled me. I just wasn't expecting it. <laughs> Scott Too Hot. Scott, I want Scott Too Hot and Palpinus to make a tag team. And Grandmaster Sex E. No, just Grandmaster Sex. <laughs> Remember when we were all like 12 or younger and we just called him Grandmaster because oh, I shouldn't say sexy. Grand Sex Master. <laughs> What can you say about Mordecai? I don't know. Much. What can you say? <laughs> he had vignettes on SmackDown in the weeks leading up to Judgment Day, where he's basically White Undertaker. But the undertone... The but basically, the undertone or overtone, depending on how you look at it, is that he's supposed to be this agent of Christianity? Sort of. In his promos, he borrows from Scripture, but points the meaning and purpose behind the text and purposes it towards him. And really, when you look at these promos, you could say, hmm, that that's probably from the Bible, but you could skew it and mean it generally outside of that. Because, you know, he talks about, like, society and how everybody's, like, you know, sexually immoral and stuff like that. <laughs> but, uh... Society bottom text. <laughs> <laughs> it's just this gimmick. 
We live in a society. Mordecai, penis. <laughs> but it's more solidified in a promo on SmackDown post pay per view, and I'll and I'll uh, I'll splice this in when Mordecai prays over the city. Literally, Tony Chimmel's like. Mordecai at this time would like to pray for the sins of everybody. And everyone's like, boo. <laughs> everybody's just going, sin, sin, sin. <laughs> Almighty Father, I kneel in this ring in a cesspool of a country. In a city where the children are nothing more than spoiled brats. And the women, the wives, the daughters, the mothers, and the grandmothers are no better than the harlots that sell themselves on these city streets. where weak-minded men are cowardly and corrupt. Father, you forgive them, but I will not, I cannot, I will punish each and every one of them and they will hear me and fear me. For I have damned them to hell! So Mordecai takes a knee and he prays over the city to Father. So it's it's definitely like, you know, Christian. You know, he, he prays for their corruptness, but the prayer kind of falls off the wills when he says, Father, you may forgive them. But I do not, for I have damned them to hell. Which, like, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. So despite his best efforts of righteousness, he's, like, wrong. But I suppose that's the point. Dogma part of the podcast. (laughs) So what do you guys think of Mordecai? Uh, Mordecai, more like Bordecai. <laughs> more like Snordecai. <laughs> <laughs> He's just incredible. Like, I'll tell you, this is what I I think. Like, when he comes out, nobody cares. Like when he comes out to the ring and it's the the big spooky music, and he's got his thing that that's halfway between a fascist and a cross, and he comes walking out with a thing that's supposed to be metal, but it's so clearly not. And he just walks out, and we're supposed to be in awe of this dude. But there's no lighting treatment. There's there's just flames going out from behind him on this clear path that we can see on either side of him. And he walks out, and he puts his stick down. And he walks into the ring. And nobody cares. Not one person makes a noise. They're just like, okay, here's this big dork. What's next? Oh, Oh, we might get to see the worm? Oh. 
Mordecai's doing the worm, my God! <laughs> That's, the thing, like, steal, That's how they try to get him over. <laughs> I'll say the biggest detriment to Mordecai for me, like the concept and everything, I think maybe it could work. I don't know. I think just you could think Undertaker's like the only spooky guy to kind of really hit it off, but he just looked terrible. Like not yeah. just the staff, but his outfit and his just bleached hair like they were just like make them all white everything white everything has to be white yeah i mean white is not a very flattering color and he's it's not mm -hmm. like he's ripped or jacked or anything yeah like he just made him he just looked kind of frumpy and then i don't know if it was like sweat but like around his gut was just like this big just i think it was just like the mildly mesh see-through shirt he was wearing became more yeah. see-through with sweat or oil yeah, it, it looks like so weird it looked like he pooped himself from the front by the end of the match yes it's funny though they never overtly say like he debuts at judgment day he just the promos would end by saying the day of judgment is upon us so of course like if you infer that judgment day is coming up on pay-per-view you would say okay he he will be there in some capacity but like michael cole for instance says this is a match i've been anticipating for weeks now like he has to pause because he doesn't even know i think that's a big part of why he didn't get a reaction uh because no one expected mordecai especially against a random opponent like scotty Tuhati, who people generally like but is mm -hmm. the bloom is off the rose at this point to start we get a lock up and a slam by mordecai scotty gets tossed into the ring post Scotty gets choked with his own arm, and then we get knees to the face. Scotty is rammed shoulder first into the other ring post. Mordecai chokes Scotty using the ropes. Boot to the head of Scotty. Scotty tries to fire up with a super kick and a face buster, which is supposed to set up for the worm, but Mordecai blocks it by nearly committing a sin himself by throwing Scotty into the ropes by the crotch of his pants, nearly exposing the little worm. His dinghy. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, his dinghy. Like, his old dingus. Clothesline and a huge crucifix powerbomb, which has a guy in the front row doing his best Scott Hall taunts, is enough for the <laughs> that, win. That, that made me laugh. After this, like, the commentary is trying to sell this so hard as, like, being impressive and stuff. I think Cole oh specifically God. was like, an impressive debut from Mordecai. And I was like, no, Cole, this is not impressive. Shut up. <laughs> he destroyed multiple-time light heavyweight champion Scott Too Hot. You know, it's funny. That reminds me. when You know, when announcers don't speak with conviction, that's how you know it's got a limited, limited run there. Like, yep. I'm immediately reminded of Triple H versus Scott Steiner at the Royal Rumble of 03, where they're like, oh, you got to think, if Scott had another chance, he would win that title. They did not sound convinced at all. And of course, he never won that World Heavyweight title in WWE. He did get some sweet nectar, though. And he got that sweet uh, theme song as well. They played this from Mordecai and Scotty Tuhati. <laughs> oh man, I'll go first here though. I'll say thumbs middle pointed towards down. I man, just think Levi being generous tonight. I am, I am. I think Scotty was the wrong person for this match. I feel like this match was 
despite the fact it was three minutes, I think it went on way too long. <laughs> Uh, I just yeah. feel like a local jobber would have fit better. Like, don't give Scotty any offense. Like, if you're going to put him in this role, Mordecai needed to squash someone in 60 seconds. Like, that's all you needed. You didn't need any competition. And ultimately, you can come away from this match and say, hey, Mordecai beat the crap out of Scotty Duhati. And that's great and all. But there's definitely, like, some, some weaknesses there. And I, I don't think it did him any favors. Uh, that being said... Uh, it was it was okay, but ultimately I didn't like this match. Yeah, there's really not a lot to like. Um, I, I alluded to to it earlier, like when when Sky Too Hottie stops having the too cool theme and starts coming out to his own, um, the banging it, banging it, banging it, banging it. That like, song sucks. That song sucks so bad, and it's such a desperate attempt to try to rebrand as even cooler than I was before, but. The dance is gone. The two thirds of the group are gone, and now we just throw him out here to get fed to Kevin Thorne and his bad mustache. You can tell he's he's not at his career peak whenever he comes out just wearing the pay per view shirt. <laughs> he would have yeah. looked so cooler with a full beard, like he's doing the Jeff Hardy thing. Ugh. Because he thought it was cool at the time. He's like, I want to listen to Marilyn Manson and cut my beard weird. But yeah, me, me no like this match much either. I thought it was weird. I'm guessing they put him with Scotty just because they didn't want to just give a jobber because it's like, well, it's a pay-per-view. We got to have him fight someone real. But it's just made him all look a fool. There was like zero highlights for me. Like if you go back and watch the match at the end, whenever they're trying to do highlights from the match, you can tell how bad it is because like the longest... The longest highlight is just from his opening. They show him do the uh, the razor's edge, and then that crappy thing where he just kind of fell on his face, <laughs> and that's what it. What was that pin, by the way? He just like lays on top of him, like, "Hey, honey, what are you thinking about doing for lunch today?" <laughs> it's called no the uh, rest in despair instead of the rest in peace. <laughs> Maybe that. <laughs> More like a caress in peace. So, guys, this is the last appearance of Mordecai. <laughs> what? <laughs> he appears okay. on SmackDowns <laughs> in the following weeks, but uh, as far as main timeline pay per views go, this is it. Um, he had a good run. He uh, <laughs> he was you know he strong. Had a good run. Uh, honestly, minutes. honestly, my uh, you know. Think about my favorite Mordecai memories. It's just, uh, you know, he was he was uh, he had a cross like structure, and uh, man, he really he really cared. No, it was a it was a symbol. Remember, what it wasn't you... a cross. It was a symbol. What's a cross like structure? You know? it, was, it was a it was a cross between a cross and a fascist. What is your, what are you guys' favorite uh, Mordecai memories? As we remember the memory of Mordecai. I, I remember when he took his hood off. That, that was he only did it once. And he never did it again. Um, so it really stands out to me. Uh, I liked his whole weird goth uh, Colonel Sanders get up. That was kind of cool. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh, he would have been perfect for that when they had wrestlers dress up like Colonel Sanders. Exactly. <laughs> Getting your fried chicken from a burger place should be a sin. <laughs> You've got... Wait, what's his name? The Devil's Advocate. Oh, oh God. Sean O'Hare. Sean O'Hare. Sean O'Hare on one side versus, versus Mordecai. Make it happen. Oh, my gosh. They become a tag team, probably, if both of them carried I think, on. I think I think if Sean O'Hare had the Mordecai gimmick, he'd probably have a better chance of doing it better. Might have actually carried it off, yeah. Yeah. Sean at least he looks is, cool. Sean O'Hare is too Sean O'Hare-y. Like, no. <laughs> Oh, just get him off TV altogether. Just get, just get out of here, Sean O'Hare. But while this is the last appearance of Mordecai, it is not, fortunately, however, the last appearance of Kevin Furtick, who we will see in about yeah. a couple years timeline-wise as Kevin Thorne. We sure will. So that's something to look forward to. With uh, BTV. We cut backstage to Chavo and Chavo Classic. They are in their locker room when they are approached by cruiserweight champion Jacqueline. And Jacqueline still a terrible actress. <laughs> Gosh, yes. Great wrestler, bad actress. She's come with a gift for Chavo. She says since he's going to get beat by a girl, he might as well dress like a girl. Because the gift is some lingerie. That's right. I made this an intergender bra and panties match. <laughs> <laughs> he throws it down and says, this is not a joke. And while he's berating Jackie, Chavo Classic can be seen in the background messing with the undies. I thought that was <laughs> genuinely hilarious. It was that very, was yeah. Jacqueline tells Chavo to make it hurt so good. So lame. And when Chavo, so meaty. So meaty. And when Chavo turns around, he finds his dad toying with the, uh, the undies. And he says, get your mind in the game. Yeah, Jacqueline, not a great actress, but this segment was pretty funny. I liked it. Mm-hmm. It was better than the match that came before it. Yeah. Speaking of, next match, Kyle. challenging to discuss but here we go rico debut. i got a quick question before we are, are you gonna do recap on this are you doing background before we do the match yes okay because i got questions rico debuted on smackdown as a competitor 
against Charlie Haas. You know, he was already on SmackDown when he was with Billy and Chuck, but now he's a competitor where we see Rico acting as an over-the-top, flamboyantly gay person. When we last saw him on SmackDown, he was acting as uh, their manager, as I said, where there was an implication he may be gay. And we discussed this in our Unforgiven 2002 review, where there were moments where he wanted hot ladies that perform HLA. Ooh. But now he's out and about. He prances, he sexually harasses his opponents, he's just an out-there dude. I'd, I'd, I'd say he is far, far gayer than most gay people. <laughs> right? <laughs> and Charlie Haas is intolerably disgusted by it. He's just like, oh, oh I'm gonna throw up. Oh, a man uh, touching a man. Oh, oh. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're watching wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, he's in his underwear. <laughs> like that's that's the thing that's always been funny to me is like anytime there's any sort of like homosexual character or anybody that's meant to make you feel weird or creepy about watching these men you realize that you've been watching three hours of men in their pants just running around rubbing on each other like come on i'm sure like, you meant to say panties my... right I'm, i meant it the way british people talk about their underwear they were men running around in their pants uh here in America, you say britches. <laughs> well, hey. But it's like, like this this kind of gay over here is fine because there's the air of masculinity about it, but this guy over here is wearing pink, so it's definitely gay. One week on SmackDown, Charlie Haas gets to challenge for the tag titles with a mystery partner. Wonder who could it... Oh, of course it's Rico. <laughs> they end up winning the tag titles from Rikishi and Scotty Tuhati, and Charlie's looking like, <laughs> oh boy, what have I gotten myself into? Speaking of Rikishi, he's all but gone from the company at this point. After after WWE repeatedly requested he lose weight, <laughs> and he refused to do so, so Rikishi <laughs> is released in early July. He's like, hey, I'm trying, but I keep finding it. Like, I'm sure you guys don't disagree with me, but I've been telling y'all, like, he's seriously obese. Really, really fat. So, like, I don't blame the company at all. It's another, they don't want another Yokozuna on their hands. Oh, God, yeah. Yokozuna's case is sad. Or Vader. (laughs) I don't know why that reminded me of when he said... (laughs) 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 Took the words right out of my mouth. (laughs) Uh, so that's kind of what's going on with Rico and Charlie Haas, and that's more so the build of this match. Now, your question to where Billy Gunn and Harker Holly come into this, they've honestly had little to do on SmackDown. <laughs> uh, Billy Gunn had a match with Booker T where he lost, and uh, I think it was just the prior SmackDown to this pay-per-view we see Rico and Hardcore Holly have a match, and Hardcore Holly's like, uh-uh. So, uh... You know, they've honestly had little to do with it, so this is more so just thrown together. And <laughs> they're, they're two big blonde guys, so they put them in the, in the ring together. They're trying to convince you that they're a team by putting a uh, Titantron together of them, but no, they have not been together. Which Good It's funny, them. too, because uh, Rico used to be Billy Gunn's hairdresser. And will be again. They could have named him the, the Hollywood Guns. That would have been a good name. <laughs> no, they could they could have made him uh, they could have named him uh just like a hard gun and then it's like oh we're not gay. <laughs> well, I did like though because I have the runway for Rico's entrance. 
I like how Charlie Haas was like, I'm going to go up it. And then everybody's caught him. And he's like, oh, never mind. I thought that was funny. I don't want anybody to think I'm gay. Runways are gay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it kind of makes you wonder. Like, Charlie Haas is so adamant to, to get across that he is not, you know, batting for the other team. Kind of makes you wonder. You think, though, doth protest too much. I'm just, I'm just saying. But I do also like when Hardcore Holly and Billy Gunn come out, who you think are faces up until a certain point in the match, uh, Hardcore Holly, he gets on the little runway, and he does a little taunt. I thought that was well, that was fun. But really, he thought you would think Billy Gunn would be the one to get on the runway, but he uh, he avoided it. Turns out the angle is uh, he's like, you know what? I am gay, and I hate Rico for being an egregious stereotype. <laughs> The challengers aren't sure who should start, so Rico grabs their butts simultaneously. Billy Gunn and Hardcore Holly want no part of Rico. Rico tags into Charlie Haas, and so we get a lockup. Holly shoves Haas, and Haas out-wrestles Holly with an impressive-looking alligator roll lock. I thought that was really cool, actually. Holly gets frustrated. Side headlock by Holly. Haas hip-tosses Holly and applies an arm bar. Armbar. Armbar. Rico is the legal man. Rico takes the back of Holly and kind of dry humps him. Yes. As you do. As you do. Holly freaks out and tags Billy Gunn. We get a lock up with Gunn pushing back Rico. Rico tries kissing Gunn and Billy Gunn jumps back. You know, it's rich. You know, now that I think about it, that the last time we saw Billy Gunn and Rico together, um, I'm sorry, who was the one marrying who? I know, right? I'm just saying. Hi, we're not gay. We're just really good friends, T.T. <laughs> right, I know that's the payoff, but still. Oh, no, but don't come near me, Rico. Whatever. Anyway, Rico tries kissing Billy Gunn. Billy Gunn jumps back. We get a side headlock by Billy Gunn. Rico grabs Billy Gunn's keister, and Billy Gunn freaks out and tries tagging Hardcore Holly, but he jumps off the apron, wanting no part of Rico. Rico ends up getting Billy Gunn on all fours and rides him like a horse, slapping his booty. <laughs> okay, that was a little funny to read. <laughs> uh... Rico nails some huge kicks in the corner, and I gotta admit, the, the jump kick was actually pretty impressive. You know, Rico, he's looking pretty beefy. He's just as big as Billy Gunn here. And that's the thing that's, I think, frustrating to me, is because, like, Rico has has some talent, mm-hmm. but he's just got this god-awful gimmick that he, he's never gonna get over with. It's weird. It's like he's getting response. Like, you can see Rico signs in the crowd. But uh, I don't think that's the reaction they're really wanting him to have. Somebody in the uh, I'll note that somebody in the front row had a Rico sign and security came and confiscated it. <laughs> did they yeah. really? Yeah, they did. I, didn't I had to go see back that. and watch it. And it wasn't even like anything crazy. I was thinking like, oh, did it say like a slur or something? But no, it just said like Rico Eye for the straight guy. <laughs> it was just a parody of that. No, if it had a slur on it, they probably wouldn't have confiscated it. <laughs> uh, it's not the attitude anymore. <laughs> Where there's like 20 signs saying, like, whoever is gay. <laughs> Steve Blackman is gay. <laughs> <laughs> Heard I <Eichel's> go, guy. 
after the kicks, Billy Gunn falls to his knees and lands in prime position to give Rico, uh, well, yes. well, you know. You know. So he starts kind of like mimic pantomiming the uh, the action there, and Billy Gunn escapes to the floor. Bellatio. There you go. Hoss tags into the match. Billy Gunn nails Rico. Hardcore Holly enters illegally and decks Charlie Haas. Hardcore Holly is in and he chops he chops and stomps to Haas. We get a suplex by Hardcore Holly. He goes for the pin, but only good for a two count. Haas fires back at Hardcore Holly, however, but Holly gives a scoop slam to Charlie Haas. So can't really find that that fire up there. Hardcore Holly climbs to the top rope. Attempted elbow by Holly does not work as Haas boots Holly in the face. Haas crawls and crawls until we get the hot tag to Rico. Yay. Rico comes in, gets the inverted atomic drop, and a series of clotheslines. Haas blind tags in. Gun hits the Famouser on Rico. Haas German suplexes Gun. Holly has the Holly has Haas for the Alabama Slam. But Rico super kicks Holly, which allows Haas to roll through the victory roll, and they manage to walk away with their tag team titles. Jake, what did you think about the match? Uh, man, this this show is so much the tale of two cities. Like right now, we are in the winter of my despair. I, Charlie Haas. Is so bad. I hate Charlie Haas with a burning passion. It just bores the crap out of me. Even still, now that hair. he's showing a little character. Even now, it still bores me. I don't like him. He, he's still got that stank on him. Because uh, I, I still just see him as the, the less charismatic member of his tag team. That's that's who he is. And yeah, he just he's he's the guy who brings in the guy for the hot tag. That's all he'll ever be. And yeah, he he sucks. I don't care about this team, Billy Gunn and Hardcore Holly. So what? You beat them. You should beat them. They're two guys. That don't work together. You, of course you should beat them. You're the tag team champions. It shouldn't have taken you that long. Smash is dumb. <laughs> I don't like it. And they spend half the time literally playing grab ass. So no, <laughs> this, this this one wasn't for me. Thumbs down. Yeah, thumbs down for me. I mean, it's basically just. I mean. The only real notes I have on this match is just, well, Rico's just one big gay joke, and then Haas is just so bland. Like, that's it. There's really nothing much to it. And to kind of, like, uh, echo uh, Jake's point from earlier, it's a shame, because Rico, when he actually has flashes of his moves, like what he can do practically, he seems like he's pretty talented. Like, towards the end, he was putting some good stuff, but it's like, Vince is just like, nope, I want you to go pretend... You're getting your waiter sucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I say thumbs middle. There's not much to say that hasn't already been said by you guys. Uh, but I will say the ending sequence is really cool with the super kick into the victory roll. I, I really liked that. But this gimmick story thing can only go so far in 2004. And of yeah. course, I'm talking about Hardcore Holly and Billy Gunn, though. Of course, uh -huh. yeah. We cut backstage to Paul Bearer and The Undertaker. Oh. Paul Bearer says all the voodoo in the world won't be able to help Booker T. And you know, there's something about Paul Bearer addressing Booker T by his name that's just hilarious to me. Oh, Booker. 
Booker T. Oh, Booker T. It's really different from like Hulk Hogan or Randy Savage. It's Booker T. It's it's just Booker. <laughs> it reminded me of in the not too distant future when Undertaker starts feuding with Heidenreich and has to address him. Heidenreich. Hyden <laughs> Heidenreich. That just doesn't sound Heidenreich. <laughs> oh. oh. Gene Snitsky. It I'm was going. your fault. <laughs> I don't know. Giant Gonzalez. <laughs> Vladimir Putin. Wait, what? No, that's not <laughs> what I meant to say. <laughs> you mean Vladimir Kozlov? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All elite Scooby Doo. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Have a good birthday. <laughs> oh my gosh. They should have never made Undertaker do cameos. No. <laughs> no they Shit is so hilarious. <laughs> hey, someone's turning 90 years old. I'm here to wish you a happy birthday. That's awesome. The Undertaker. Soon you'll be like me, a dead man. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool, dude. <laughs> Hot and rock. I heard it was your birthday. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, why? Because you suck. Somebody's turning six. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, that's awesome is what you say when you don't know what else to say. And it's usually not awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I'm lightheaded. Okay. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm with it. Okay, Chavo. Hands to pull the dragons from the ground, yeah. The next match is Jacqueline taking on Chavo for that, uh, what was it? Cruiserweight Championship? I can't remember. <laughs> Ooh, Chavo! He's finally got his music! And it's about damn time. That's what I'm saying. I love this music. We've been joking about it the whole podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not this one, like the, the, the series of the Ruthless Aggression podcast. And personally, my favorite iteration is the mashup between Chavo and Big Show. Ooh, Big Show! Chavo! Chavo,
I've had people message me that that listen to the show talk about how funny that that, that is to them. So that that is but, something that has resonated with our ruthless listeners. Well, I'm glad. Teehee. Chavo was going on tour in what he called Chavo versus the world. Not to be confused with WCW versus the world. He was feeling pretty confident when Jacqueline became the first challenger for Chavo. Chavo didn't take her serious and ended up falling prey as a result. Chavo Classic had the ref distracted, which inadvertently allowed Jackie to nail a low blow and a small package to become the first ever and only black woman to hold the Cruiserweight Championship, and likely the only ever. She was also the only WWE Cruiserweight Champion to have those puppies, JR! Woo! (laughs) Now, while she was the first woman in WWE to hold the title, if we date the title's history back to WCW, she wasn't the only woman to hold the title. There were two other women before her. Can you tell me who they were? Without using Wikipedia. Uh... Uh... Run that question by me one more time. Who were the other two women in WCW to hold the Cruiserweight title? Uh, one of them was uh, Medusa. Correct. Mm-hmm. And some Japanese lady, wasn't that correct? No. <laughs> um, hang on, I'm, I'm getting there. I, I don't know. I can't think of the other one. One was Medusa, who won the title at Starcade 1999 in a victory over... Is the other one Major Guns? No. <clears throat> Miss Elizabeth? Medusa won the title over Evan Courageous, so that shouldn't be a big surprise to anybody. Right. And the other was Daphne. Oh. Uh, who won the it. title against Crowbar in quite possibly the craziest match I've ever seen. I literally watched it last night. Was that the was that the wedding cake match? No. Uh, Let me tell you. They started by thumb wrestling. Okay, okay. So little backstory. Apparently, they accidentally won the title at the same time, so they couldn't figure out who should hold the belt. So the following week on Nitro, they come out, they try it, and they say they're going to settle it like adults. And apparently, Daphne screams a lot. I I just I didn't know this. So anyway, they start by thumb wrestling. That doesn't work. Then rock, paper, scissors. That doesn't work. And so then they start actually wrestling. Oh, my God. They wrestle. And, you know, Crowbar, he's trying to be careful because I think they're boyfriend and girlfriend. I don't know. Uh, That's just what I inferred from this. So he's like, oh, I'm sorry I hurt you. Uh, They wrestle up until Chris Candido with Sonny, a.k.a. Tammy Sitch, comes out. Where Sonny has the biggest high highest heels I've ever seen, and the shortest skirt in the world, and she's walking around seriously like a newborn horse in the ring. <laughs> and dudes are just trying to take pictures of her butt, and it's just like, what the heck are you doing? Uh, and so Chris Candido, he beats up on Crowbar, ultimately pile driving him on a chair. When Daphne, she's like shaking him to like wake up and apparently this counts as a pin 
crowning Daphne the cruiserweight champion. It was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. At least you didn't watch Medusa uh, feuding with Oklahoma. I don't want to know. I don't want to (laughs) know. So that's a brief history of women winning the cruiserweight championship. Chavo so desperately wants to prove it was a fluke that he says he'll wrestle Jacqueline with one arm tied behind his back. The match begins with Chavo kicking and clubbing Jacqueline in the corner. Shoulder thrusts and three backbreakers by Chavo. Chavo continues punching Jacqueline when she reverses an Irish whip for a head scissors out of the corner. We get a clothesline by Chavo. Jacqueline low blows Chavo as the referee is distracted by Chavo Classic. We get a sunset flip by Jacqueline. She goes for the pin, but it's only good for two. Chavo bells to the outside and Chavo Classic unties the arm unbeknownst to the referee. Chavo takes out Jacqueline with a clothesline. Chavo Classic continues to distract the referee while Chavo, meanwhile, plants Jacqueline with a gory bomb for the pin and the win. Chavo regains his cruiserweight championship. I'll start here. Thumbs down. I feel like this was funny at first, but, you know, obviously got to get the title back on Chavo. Uh, Whatever. Thumbs down. Glad Glad it was over when it was over. My feelings are what they are, and they've been espoused. It's thumbs down. I didn't like it. It's stupid. Yeah, the whole crux is like, haha, you lost to a girl. And yeah, there was really. This is just basically just like, all right, joke's over. Let's just put the, the title back on Chavo. <laughs> the end. The only, only, only notable thing about this match was commentary. Taz, whenever uh, Jackie was hanging on Chavo, he's like, yeah, she's. Hanging on a like a like a ladybug on a on a leaf or something. <laughs> Cole is just kind of lost for words. Like what? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so after the match, Chavo cuts a promo on Jacqueline before kicking her while she was down, and then Chavo Classic gets in a kick as well for payback for getting pantsed on SmackDown. Fellas, unfortunately, this is the last time we'll see Jacqueline. Aww. What happened, Jacqueline? So, chocolate. Unlike Mordecai, Jacqueline actually had a pretty lengthy run in WWF slash E. You guys have any fond Jacqueline memories? (laughs) I know Uh, I do. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I know I do. Val Venus, get out of here. Oh! I mean... I always, I always had a lot of respect for for Jacqueline. She was a good worker, um, really, really talented. I remember her working a lot with Victoria, um, and just yeah, being being one of the the reason that women's wrestling was taken seriously at all through this period of time. Um, but yeah, also she got her boobs out on TV once, more than once. Oh hey, yeah, more than once, and it was awesome. <laughs> As a, a pre. Not now. It's not cool now. Not cool. That's not cool now, dude. Still cool. In my house. Kyle, what about you? Still cool. Uh, I have limited memories. You know, I I didn't see too much of her growing up, but we did. She seems fine. (laughs) She got big boobies. (laughs) I think that she was the. You know, I think she was robbed in the fully loaded bikini contest. Honestly, I (laughs) can't. 
because she showed more than Sable did. Let's be real. We just don't see it. It did see it. I remember bringing it now. Yeah, because I actually watched that probably a few months ago. It was just so like, ugh. Oh, you did, remember did there, you? Yeah, there was a point. It was uh, whenever it was leading up to their feud. In my pants. Like, oh. <laughs> Ooh. There was a point with Sable and them. like, uh, Yeah, because she was with Mark Merrow, right? Correct. Yeah, they were in the ring, Mark Merrow and Jackie, and then Sable was at the ramp, and they were going back and forth, and it was like the most generic Hattie woman stuff, like, you're just a dumb bitch. <laughs> and that was both a great of them are just Sable impression. Awful, mm-hmm. awful actors. I hate Sable. Sable's the worst. Oh, gosh, yes. Let's not bring her back up. Yeah, let's not bring <laughs> Sable back up. But Jacqueline, thank you for your contributions. To the Attitude Era as well as the Ruthless Aggression Era. You will be... Mm, uh, I guess missed, I guess. I don't, know. I don't think about you. So, Jake, why don't you cut us to a commercial break? Jacqueline style. Get my boobs out? Yes, please. Huh? Oh, man, look at those hey, things. Those are some big points. Why don't right you there. look at my chocolate? No. Uh, we'll be back right after this. We got to go and do some stuff. But after that, we'll be back with some more uh, wrestling comedy. It's good stuff. Nemesis, Avenger, Hero. Outsmart Donkey Kong and bring back the mini Marios in Mario vs. Donkey Kong. Only for Game Boy Advance. Rated everyone. Announcing the arrival of the first airline with Soul. Welcome aboard. Thank you for choosing the Soul plane. From the time you arrive at the gate. You doing good? Yeah. You feel wonderful. Till the moment you meet the crew. Hey, Captain. At ease, ladies. We make sure you have an unforgettable flying experience. Peep out this little safety video we put together for you. Sit tight and enjoy the flight. Kevin Hart. Mayday. Mayday. Tom Arnold. Oh, hey. D.L. Hughley. Damn. Sorry. Well, I guess you can't have the lightning without the thunder. Method Man. What you? Monique. And Snoop Dogg. What the hell's going on here? Man, I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> this is wonderful. I love this speaking stuff like this. Let's get the party is nonstop. Oh, no, you can't use that phone while we on Girl, the Girl, please. No, no, no. They say that to rip you up. Soul Plane. I don't know what you got in there, but we gonna find out. You wanna say something? You wanna say something? Birdman. Birdman. loves. We rock the streets, homie. Yes, I did it and I'll do it up. Time and time again, you think about yourself before. 
Pepsi Blue, has been discontinued. Rip, in peace. Taking on Illinois for the U.S. title. You people are so unrefined. That's why I bring SmackDown Café de René to bring back some class and style to you people, like fine wine and beautiful women. Tony Wilson, you make me sick to my stomach. In this ring. Oh, good for Tori. Well, he kind of deserved that. Wait a minute. Oh, easy now. Yeah, the wine right in Tori's eyes. And now what the hell is he doing? What the hell is this? What's he doing? Wait a minute. Oh, the- it's John Cena. Whoa, John Cena is in the house. John Cena has busted up Cafe de Rene. John Cena ruined everything. This is not right. And things must change around here. The judgment day. John Cena, the U.S. title. I never thought I'd say this, but I'm going to be proud to have a Frenchman be the U.S. champion. John Cena has been a one-man welcoming committee since Rene Dupree came to SmackDown from Raw. It seems that you and the rest of these American rejects have the mistaken perception that the French are nothing but cowards and sissies. Because everybody knows that the French are not only better lovers, we are better fighters as well. John Cena doing the right thing, and Rene Dupree kicking the handle out of John Cena. The self-professed French phenom has absolutely lost it. Oh my God! And a This is the real life version of a WWE fan from France playing story mode with their creator wrestler. Rene Dupree just <laughs> seems so out of place. On SmackDown, Rene Dupree was doing commentary when John Cena came out and cut a diss rap on him. Ooh. And like we said at the beginning of the show, John Cena told Rene he could choke on D's and threw some nuts and didn't hit Rene, but Fifi. What a Ooh, di- and then it's just like big face turn. 
How do you attack an innocent animal, Jocino? The week following Kurt Angle's horrific accident, Rene Dupree hosted Café de Orone. Rene... I'll say real quick, that has to be one of the most boring like show-within-a-show segments I've ever seen. What made really it so bad. boring? Everything. Nothing happened. Nothing happened, and nothing that they were talking about was interesting, and neither of them are very good actors. <laughs> yeah, it, and it, I felt it only, bad for the dog. It only heated up when they discussed the obvious talking points. Call her the B-word. Okay. You want to get heat? Use the B-word. And heat he got, as Renee went on to blame Tori for Kurt's accident, all the while just being a creep. He throws wine at Tori when John Cena comes out to make the save. She just can't catch a break. The following week, Kurt Angle makes a match pitting Tori against Renee Dupree, which only serves to speed up the Cena feud that he's got going on. But I bring that up to point out, first of all, let's let's address the elephant in the room. Renee's trunks. This guy desperately needs a jockstrap. <laughs> this dude is hot dogging and grandstanding if you know what I mean and I say that to say there is a spot when Renee and Tori are rolling around you know wrestling Tori's trying to do the sunset flip right we were just talking about how she does that too much and uh well she tries to do it to Renee but Renee drops down and covers her shoulders and uh let's just say she came close to eating some hot dogs uh, she's a big fan of Earl Grey. It was it was disgusting, <laughs> like just how like prevalent his wee uh, wee was. Ah. I'm just like barf. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, him and Cena mix it up. Renee puts Cena through uh, the table, and actually, you see that in the 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 package here before the match that uh, Renee really struggled to get John Cena up because dude is not graceful. And it's just like, oh, man, you know he got a hernia freaking lifting him up. But uh, anyway, you throw in some USA versus France razzmatazz, and we got ourselves a foreign feud. Oh, yeah. Oh. We get right hands by Cena. Dupree escapes to the outside. Luthez pressed by John Cena. And an Irish whip to the corner. Cena talks trash and needs a big boot. Dupree lays in some nice right hands before Cena reverses Dupree with knees to the ribs. Followed by... A spagingo! Uh. And a clothesline to the floor. Dupree rakes the eyes and pulls Cena head first into the ring post. Dupree flips to the apron, but Cena misses a crossbody. And in a spot that made me gasp... He just crashes and burns to the floor as Dupree pulls down yeah, the ropes. man. Ooh. That was brutal. He overshot that one. Like, seriously, he just splats on the ground. Because he has no grace about him. He is just a big, dumb robot. It's just like, clunk, 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 clunk. He is the prototype. This is enough to land John Cena with the Pepsi Blue Splash! of the night. And now it's time for the Pepsi Blue Splash of the Night. Thank God! Ooh. Oh, man, I wish I had a Pepsi Blue right now. Well, stop drinking them all. I can't. (laughs) Because they're so good, right? Yeah, I love Pepsi Blue. Uh, I love to hear you say that. The Jawbreaker by Cena. 
Right hands and a clothesline. Back elbows and a shoulder block. Sidewalk slam by Cena. Followed by the five-knuckle shuffle. But Dupree dodges for a spine buster. Boot to the face by Cena. Double axe handled by Cena, but it's blocked for a DDT by Dupree. Dupree. Rene Dupree measures for the French bomb. Cena counters. He goes for the FU, but it's countered for a neck breaker by Rene Dupree. He goes for the pin, but it's only good for two. Rene Dupree calls for a power bomb. Cena counters for a backdrop. Dupree holds on, but Cena has the pin. Only good for two, though. We get a backslide by Cena. Only good for two as well. Dupree tried to leapfrog Cena out of the corner, but Cena caught Dupree for an FU. It's good enough for the three and to retain the United States Championship. USA. USA. Yay. Kyle, what do you think I about hate the match? France. Who, me? Um, I don't know. Uh, I didn't really care for it too much, to be honest. I didn't hate it. I just didn't think it was particularly great. And I, it's like, I hate to sound like it's, this whole time's just a big negative for me, but I don't know. Just Rene Dupree especially just doesn't do it for me. And then I just think this feud as a whole is just dumb. There's a lot of like rest holds, which aren't bad in themselves, but it just felt like it was a bit excessive. And uh, other than that, just kind of boring. I think the most like, whoa, thing to happen was kind of some of Cena's offense and definitely that big dive he took out. But I don't know, kind of like thumbs middle pointed towards down personally. <laughs> yeah, I got to agree. I mean, the the fans are definitely behind Cena, and they're with him. But this is just not like it doesn't do it for me. It's just, and again, it's the Charlie Haas mm-hmm. scenario. Like if it, if it weren't for it being Rene Dupree, I really don't think it would probably be a really good match. But otherwise, you know, whatever. I say thumbs middle. Again, Dupree isn't a top guy. It's hard to buy him as a viable threat to Cena. But that being said, I do think he held up decently in this match. I'm not mad at it, but it was definitely skippable. And to end here, Cena celebrates with the fans of Los Angeles. He goes into the crowd and points at signs and taunts and stuff. Yay. Maybe that's why they cut him off early. It's like, hey, we got to have time for him to do this excessive run out in the crowd thing. Yeah. Giveaway. Run out in the crowd, Cena. Have fun. is Booker T taking on The Undertaker in a big hungry man throwdown. (laughs) I just want to make something perfectly clear. I came from being a star on Raw to now being a megastar on SmackDown. I'm better than your champion, Eddie Guerrero. Consider yourself insulted. Hell, I'm better than The Undertaker. Oh, yes, Booker T is the best thing 
Booker T frozen in time here. Since joining the blue brand, Booker T has been sour. Not because he wasn't valued the same as Triple H, no. But because he loved Raw. He loved performing on Raw. He loved the Raw fans. He was Team Red all day long. So much so that he hates SmackDown. He wants absolutely nothing to do with it and views himself as the top guy on the show. You know, everything about SmackDown is beneath him. He was brought over to SmackDown in kayfabe because Kurt Angle valued him so much that he wanted to build the show around Booker. I actually kind of like that. I wonder why that is because, you know, you presume as Kurt Angle is a heel, he wants Booker T to come over and he's a babyface. He didn't anticipate Booker have such a sour attitude. So it's like, why would Kurt Angle want to build around Booker T? Booker, he disrespects Eddie on his first night there and calls him you know, champion of the minor leagues. He betrays his former tag partner, RVD. He is making no friends for himself and in the process rubs a certain dead man the wrong way. <gasps> Which one? Mordecai? <laughs> Mordecai's not dead. He's full of life. Too gimmicky. much life. He claims he's a megastar on SmackDown and that he is the most famous on SmackDown. But it certainly appears that if he's not, then he's about to be. He's about to be made famous. Despite his claims, these interactions spook Booker T so much so that he becomes compelled to uh, utilize supernatural elements. He goes to what appears to be some sort of a fortune teller or tarot card person, some spooky lady witch doctor. She gives Booker T some spooky items that will aid him to victory, which consist of 
nails from a coffin of a condemned man, feather of a crow, fangs from a tree-legged dog. But there's one more thing he needs to retrieve on his own. She can't give it to him. Dirt from a graveyard, from a special grave <gasps> to be dug up at midnight, from a man with no name on. Booker asks. Okay, man. Booker asks how yeah, to. Man. Booker asks how to find it, and the lady says, It will find you. Booker retrieves his dirt after stumbling upon the grave, which this is never followed up on or explained, but uh, after he grabs the dirt, it shows an an image of a, uh, a hand emerging from the grave, which, if you look closely, it's Undertaker's hand. So this is dog footage that they've used before, but it's not Undertaker, so it's very confusing. Uh, but yeah, uh, there's some like voodoo magic going on. Booker T destroys the FBI in a handicap match on SmackDown. And now he's claiming he is just as powerful as the undertaker. But will this be enough to help defeat the dead man? It's like, I watch it and it's, it's, I, I take entertain. It's an entertaining in how absurd this is that this was a genuine angle between Booker T and undertaker. But as far as like practical, like no, I'm not really into it. I mean, the it's it's really really silly, and it is what it is. I just I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't seem like that's the kind of thing that Booker T would actually do. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it de- definitely seems out of his element. But I think he holds up his end well. I don't think he seems uh, he does. Like he 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 carries it out well. He's just not. I I, I don't know. Like, it's not Booker the, T. Voodoo. Yeah, Voodoo Mama Juju is not where I'd expect to see Booker T. If this was my show with Alex and Jake, that would be the name of the episode. <laughs> well, yeah, it would have been. So to start here, Undertaker cuts off the ring quickly, and Booker is cornered. Taker throws Booker to the corner. One punch, and Booker escapes to the floor. Booker grabs his uh, Lucky Charms and rubs <laughs> himself with it. Yeah, that was really weird. Why? He's just trying to power up, dude. Yeah. Rubbing himself down with the outside of the sack. And I mean, wasn't the point of the, the sack? What's wrong with that? Val Venus! Uh, <laughs> what is wrong with that? Rene Dupree! <laughs> you were saying, Kyle? That's awesome. I was going to say, and the other thing about it, I was like, another problem I have with the this whole weird, like, voodoo thing is like, it seems like this, the, the sack this i don't know whatever it is it's supposed to like keep booker t safe but it's not (laughs) he's still getting his his ass kicked (laughs) like he rubs on his body he rubs it on the ring ropes and he's he's still getting beaten up yeah there's part of me that says why even do all this why even go through the trouble just for undertaker to just be more powerful than it but i make movies pal but yeah i guess that's the point i guess it's like his his labors were in vain because Undertaker's dead. But it, it's also kind of weird because like Booker T's supposed to be like the heel in this, but it's like I'm gonna go to this magic power and I want to use it to ward off the Undertaker. So it's like, okay. Yeah, what a face. Yeah. So Booker he rubs himself with the Lucky Charms, and then we get knee and forearm shots by Booker T. We then get a boot by Booker, which has no effect on Undertaker, who clotheslines Booker. 
We get a leg drop by The Undertaker, and Booker is clotheslined to the floor. However, Booker hotshots Undertaker, followed by a missile drop kick. He goes for the pin, but only good for two. Booker T punishes Undertaker in the corner, while Booker goes back to the magic bag. <laughs> Undertaker and Booker slug it out. We get a knee by Booker T, followed by a Harlem sidekick, which misses which means we get a flying clothesline by The Undertaker. We get an old school by The Undertaker. <laughs> Complete shot by Undertaker, which is just a crappy-looking move. I'm sorry. You're pretty much rock-bottoming yourself, which he's like using it to transition into a submission, a guillotine choke. It just looks bad. I'm sorry. Yeah. Y'all have no idea what I'm talking about. No, I'm with you. Like, it's just, <laughs> yeah, I, I, said, I said it's yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We just hate you, Levi. It's okay. <gasps> Booker reaches the ropes <laughs> with his feet. You know, using that wherewithal, that veteran instincts. Undertaker goes for the last ride, but Booker slips out while the referee is down. Booker blinds Undertaker with the contents of the magic bag, which is no doubt the dirt from the grave of the man with no name. I was surprised. You know, Booker T emptied his sack all over Undertaker's face. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Listen to you. I will say, well, I'll comment right now. Whenever he uh, threw that, I don't know, it was like sandy powder. It wasn't more like baby powder or something they usually use. Like, it just made it his beard. Dirt from a grave. It was a dirt from a grave. Well, I guess it was, yeah, like really fine dirt they used for this. And it just got in his like little, uh, his little goatee and made it look just a bit more of his natural color. And this is kind of like Undertaker getting used to being like this new hybrid character. So his hair's not just ridiculously wet like you would make it later on. And so I don't know. He just kind of looks like a dad. <laughs> in the... It's not long. It's, it's short long. It's, it's like when a, when a dad's like, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm trying to relive my younger days. I want to grow up my hair a little bit and maybe pick up my guitar, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and his hair was also, like, permanent marker black, too. Yeah, yeah. It was just weird length, too. It was, like, it was. Undertaker hair. I think we should we should uh, put him in the same uh, kind of little weird hair hall of fame as uh, Return Shawn Michaels was. And... <laughs> when he put the, the dirt in Undertaker's face, it just looked like he uh, got... Like powdered with Nesquik powder. I was about to say, yeah, it was just they just threw Nesquik at him. He's like, "What? You just sold me Nesquik? No." <laughs> got milk. Shawn That's Michaels awesome. got milk. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so Taker he no sells the uh, the dirt. I presume it's the dirt. Like, you know, you're supposed to have the feather of a crow and the fangs of a tree-legged dog. But I didn't see any of those. It was just powder. But, uh, presuming to have this dirt in his face, which, you know, wouldn't that cancel the magic? You know, getting all the things uh, discombobulated like that? I don't know. Not like it was working anyway. Mm -hmm. He no-sells the powder. Corner clothesline by Undertaker. Taker misses a corner boot and is hung up on the top rope. Booker decides to work the leg. Booker smashes Taker's leg into the steel steps and ring post. Undertaker fires up on his knees. Booker nails the scissors kick. He goes for the pin. You think it's over? But he kicks out. 
Undertaker sits up. Choke slam by the Undertaker, followed by a tombstone pile driver, is enough for the win. And I'll go first here. Thumbs in the middle, pointed towards up. I think the whole story was just dumb fun, wrapped up in a pretty solid little match. Undertaker looked really good. And, you know, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you're a part-timer. And Booker, he can hang with the best. So, I liked it. But, honestly, the thing... I I was expecting, based off the build on SmackDown, that there was going to be someone come in and interfere. And back in the day, I speculated that maybe it would be Mankind, who, you know, the all-brown Mankind. But, uh, <laughs> obviously, looking back, that. that's kind of stupid. Especially since he got done feuding with Orton. But... I don't know, man. I was ex- I was expecting just a little more. For me, like this match is the first match that that I really actually enjoyed. I mean, because up until this point, we've had a bunch of nonsense. And then John Cena got the crowd hot, and then everyone's excited to see the Undertaker. But like, uh, I mean, yeah, there could have been a lot more, but it just feels like it's it's a B level pay per view, and and the Undertaker is here. Like the entire time, like. Michael Cole kept talking about what an amazing event it is that the Undertaker has decided to grace us with his presence at this pay per view. Oh my God! I don't know. I don't know. You made him sound like a. You made Michael Cole sound like a talking crow. (laughs) (laughs) Is he not? That's where the feather came from. Um. Yeah, for me, kind of same. Like, it's kind of it's kind of telling when this is the best match since the uh, the. The Team 3D opening. <laughs> wow. So, uh, and the thing is, like, I've seen better work from both these guys. I kind of feel like Undertaker still, I don't know, it's not like he, he, he was gone for like a zillion years and all of a sudden it's like the biggest, grandest comeback, but I feel like he's still working out this character just a smidgen. Because, you know, I'm just thinking like a few years from now when he's like just, he has a presence, he has dominance to him, you know, it's like this figure whereas now it's like you're just starting to see that really come through um i think it was pretty solid overall but yeah like i thought the story was just dumb like it was in the end kind of pointless because none of it really mattered for anything in the end, it doesn't even matter. Yeah, exactly that's what the song is about he watched this and was like there you go but uh <laughs> well, then, yeah I, I don't know why it doesn't even matter how much voodoo you drive <laughs> I, I'd say like you know just just thumbs middle like I, I can't hate it it wasn't bad but it, it didn't excite me well with that being said now it's time for the main event of the evening that's awesome ladies and gentlemen from New York City John Bradshaw Layfield Bob Simon and Schuster out. I've got a radio show that starts May 1st. I have become the top financial analyst on network TV. I've got a portfolio that has beat the stock market seven out of the last seven years. I have succeeded in everything but one thing, and that is wrestling. Because I thought it was more important to have a good time, to drink beer, to play cards, to visit our troops. But that ain't got me jack. So something's fixing to happen around here. You're fixing to see an impact. So get ready. 
business is about to pick up. Oh my God! Bradshaw, what the hell are you doing? What I say I do, and what I do, I do very, very well. Talk about impact. Wow! Ladies and gentlemen, the winner of the Kurt Angle Great American Award, and thus the number one contender for the WWE title, goes to John Bradshaw Layfield! Than me, JBL. What I see is a great American sellout. Eddie Guerrero has stolen the spotlight from JBL. He's a thief. You are a black mark on society, Eddie Guerrero. You are a disgrace to America. You're gonna pay for this, Eddie. You will pay. Pay, 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 pay. Ladies and gentlemen, a tragic incident occurred involving the Guerrero family. Eddie was in the ring, finished up a match, invited his family in to celebrate, and unfortunately, this tragedy followed. Mrs. Guerrero, Eddie's mother, suffered a heart attack. his business. Eddie has to take responsibility for the circumstances and what happens, the consequences. You don't understand something, John. You traumatized my family. You put your hands on a 76-year-old defenseless woman. That, my friend, is a coward. Make no mistake. I don't give a damn about Eddie Guerrero's mother. If she dies, she dies. The one that everybody has to worry about, especially your family, is you. Eddie Guerrero has completely lost it. This isn't about Eddie's mother. This is about my meeting with destiny. I'm gonna kick the living out of you. I will personally guarantee victory. Will this carnage be the scene at Judgment Day? I wish I didn't do
yeah, are you ready for some awesome All Elite Scooby-Doo and main events? Because Eddie Guerrero is taking on JBL for the WWE title. There is a lot to unpack here. So, let's waste no time, shall we? Before the draft, Farouk and Bradshaw were taunting then-general manager Paul Heyman backstage. Paul then makes the stipulation for their match that if the APA lose, you would be fired. Not very clear, but they assume it's the both of them. So we have APA versus Rikishi and Scotty Tuhati. And we see the APA lose their match, and you think that they've both been canned. They head to Heyman's office, and Bradshaw is irate. He's demanding to keep his job, just going off on Heyman. He's like, what are you complaining about? I said he would lose his job, not you. So Farouk is fired as a result of the defeat. Farouk expects Bradshaw to protest this with him, but Bradshaw gives Farouk the cold shoulder, showing Farouk just where he stands. And so Farouk is like, So it's like that, huh? Damn. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> and later we see Bradshaw pleading with Farouk to understand that, you know, he has a family, he's got kids, blah, blah, blah. You know, if you ask me, that all seems reasonable. And based off that instance alone, you think Farouk is the selfish one. But let's dial up the knob from two to two hundred. Enter John Bradshaw Layfield. Hey, look at my limo. It's got horns on it, and I wear a cowboy hat. Did you see my book? I'm dressed like this, but I got wet hair, so it looks a little weird. <laughs> hey, let's address this right now. That's one of the greatest themes ever. Fight it's, me. It's a very good theme. Fight me. I don't care. That's a great theme. It is It is a perfect fit for the character. But I have a question for you guys. You know the part yes. where it goes... Dun, dun, dun. Was that a cow or was that Jim Ross? Hmm. <laughs> it's, it's hard to tell, but anyway... Uh, with SmackDown missing top in-ring stars such as Kurt Angle, Big Show, and Brock Lesnar, we need a top heel to rival our brand new top babyface. And boy, did they work overtime to put heat on JBL. I don't know how much you guys were keeping up with JBL and his rise on SmackDown, but needless to say, you guys are familiar with JBL at the very least, and it's fair to say he is a polarizing figure in wrestling. A lot of people don't buy him as a top guy, especially not then. They can't look past his, like, Blackjack Bradshaw or his acolyte days. But me, mm -hmm. I bought in. Namely because I didn't really get to witness those iterations of him. This all hit as intended with me back in the day. What do you say, guys? Yeah, it definitely hit with me because um, I didn't really see any of his, like, much of his, uh, like, APA stuff, you know. And then the APA stuff kind of in the ruthless aggression kind of just felt a bit like, a, I don't know, almost like borderline nostalgia act because they just drug it out so long, you know? Right. And uh, th this is definitely a, taking somebody who was like a 
maybe a, a four out of ten on my radar and kind of bumped him up to like a an eight. So <laughs> definitely had me invested. I don't know if it's necessarily if I ever thought he was like bona fide big main event material, but he certainly was a top heel in my mind. Yeah, I mean, this is my first real exposure to to JBL as a heel, and so far it's working for me. I took to Instagram, and you can follow us at Ruthless Aggression Podcast on Instagram, to ask what did our followers think of the JBL run from 04 to 05? And we got two comments on it, but um, I feel like this perfectly encapsulates the general feelings of uh, JBL. So our first comment comes from Fretzelmania, a.k.a. Mr. Fretz, a.k.a. donor to the show, a.k.a. our boy, a.k.a. our Canadian boy. boy. And he had to say, JBL is one of the worst character transformations in wrestling history. To go from bad bleep Texan to Ted DiBiase light was awful. I think he could have gotten mileage out of a Stan Hansen-esque character, Larry at Nall. And also, turns out he's a total bully. No thanks. So some harsh words there from Mr. Fretz. And then we turn to listener of the show, Logan Clowder 63 who says, JBL is one of my favorite characters from that time of WWE. I think the reason behind this is because he was so hated it made him so good. That he was able to garnish so much heat for being his character that made his style of wrestling and the matches he would put on so great. One of my all-time favorites. I think that two, those two comments alone encapsulate the the dilemma of JBL, I guess, if you want to say. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird. Like, me growing up, when I was watching, like, I didn't have, like, ready access to the internet or anything. I couldn't really gauge other people's thoughts. Like, the only people I knew that liked wrestling was, like, me and my best friend. So we both were into, into JBL. And so I didn't really think much of it. So it's pretty crazy. Yeah, you know, he was so polarizing. Yeah, despite the fact that you know he was part of APA, that didn't tarnish my my view of him to to uh, like not buy him as a credible threat. Uh, but I will say though, going back and watching it, the tag match they had with Rikishi and Sky Tuhati was funny because Rikishi gives Bradshaw the super kick and Bradshaw eats the pin in that match. So <laughs> I thought that was kind of questionable in hindsight. But nevertheless, um, like I said, they worked overtime with this guy to get heat on him. So let's let's go back to Kurt Angle announcing a tournament to crown the first and only Kurt Angle's Great American Award. It was a tournament that featured superstars who gained points and matches to advance, such as Charlie Haas, Big Show, Booker T, John Cena, Rene Dupree, and John Bradshaw Layfield. It seemed to be up to fan vote in the latter portion. Because there were there were moments such as there was a match between Charlie Haas and RVD where Charlie Haas won by points. It was really arbitrary and Kurt Angle was just like screwing with RVD. So at this at this juncture the following week, it seemed like it was up to a fan vote, which John Cena ran away with. And just as Kurt Angle was going to announce Cena as the winner, JBL stops him and implored Angle to watch some footage he had prepared. Mind you, this is on Peacock. JBL filmed himself essentially waiting by the border to fend off illegal immigrants. I'm here in the United States side of the Texas-Mexico border. I'm here to prove a point. You see, this is our most porous part of our entire border. 
It's basically uninhabited and unpatrolled. This is where hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants cross this border each and every year. Mexicans who come to our country and pay no taxes. I'm an American. I grew up in the state of Texas. I've made a fortune in this country that we call America. So I know what these type of people do to our economy. They take advantage of our healthcare system, our welfare system, and they send all their money back to Mexico and look to people like me to have to support people like them. It's like half of America. It's like half of the state of Texas. I know I grew up here. They're lazy. They look to government like it's big brother and say, please give me a handout. That's why people like me who've made my own money have such outrageous taxes to pay for people. I told you, I told you it wouldn't be long. Now I'm gonna prove my point. I'm gonna prove my point. Right there, it's a whole herd of Mexicans. The government won't do anything about it. The INS won't either. Texas is too scared. Texas is a bunch of cowards. But John Brent, stop right there! Stop right there! You hear me? Stop right there! Okay, okay, okay. You're in my country. No, 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 because this side of the border, John Bradshaw Layfield will be waiting. <laughs> oh my goodness! I, I saw. I remember this part. Like, Kyle, are you familiar right with around, this? this? Is where? I, well, I I was watching some of the Smackdowns, and that was right about the the time I, I phased out. I got caught up in in life, but I I saw some of this. Yeah, it was it was some good stuff. It's pretty, pretty spicy, pretty controversial, but like I said, over time. There is a fun tidbit about this segment, though. According to Bruce Pritchard, so take this with a grain of salt, it was so dark outside, they accidentally wandered onto someone else's property, and they were in Texas. So, essentially, they almost got shot. And I don't, I don't mean in the Scott Steiner way. What, with steroids? No, like shot on. Oh, oh, not shot up. But shot with a gun. JBL then wins the Great American Award only to discover Eddie has stolen the trophy, which he promptly destroys. Things go from Eddie having fun messing with JBL to serious real quick as we witness in El Paso, Texas at a house show, which they just happen to have cameras for, uh, El Paso, Texas, Eddie's hometown for Mother's Day. Eddie brings out his wife, kids, and mother to celebrate what they mean to him when JBL comes out. And he gives Eddie a big clothesline from Hades. And he's approaching Eddie's mom, who, you know, she's standing her ground. She's a strong woman, right? A uh, 76-year-old woman. And he's telling her to take her family back to Mexico and... All this, you know, racist stuff. When he grabs Eddie's mom by the arm and she suffers a heart attack. 
Uh, depending on who you talk to, this was either real or it was staged. But at the very least, it was a planned spot to happen. What did you guys make of Eddie Guerrero's mom having a heart attack? So, so random. <laughs> it was, I was like, yeesh. Uh, I guess if you want to just get like nuclear heat on JBL, just have him try to somewhat indirectly kill the, the champion's mom. <laughs> so why not? I wanted to believe it. Like when it happened, I was like, oh, snap. Like what's what's happening here? Like I had known that, that there was some of it was staged some of it wasn't so it's like right in it's like the perfect wrestling angle right because you can't tell what's real and what isn't yeah the people in the audience were crying so i got a couple shots of people and they were just like dumbfounded at what just happened as eddie's mom is stretchered and carried away jbl the character is a gigantic racist against hispanic people and he is taking out his hatred on them through eddie guerrero Eddie will come out and talk about how Hispanic people are lazy and they, 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 they leech off the, the U.S. government, and uh, that's kind of his stick right now. And you know, being a huge dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> so Eddie, he just becomes hell bent on destroying JBL after the attack on his family. Can we sell JBL as a top healing contender? I will say, as Eddie made his entrance. You know, he was dancing around, having a good time, and I thought it didn't make sense for him to do that because he has just been this crazed man on a mission to get JBL, get his hands on him. But when he got to the ring, he switched, and that was money to me. It's also mm -hmm. why he's the pro and I am not. <laughs> right. I'm the dumb wrestling fan with a microphone and internet connection. <laughs> yeah. And me and Jake are smart. Levi's the dumb one. No. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Eddie charges at JBL. Right hands galore leave the challenger on the floor. Ooh. Eddie pummels JBL on the floor. Stomps from Eddie. JBL continues to evade Latino heat. Eddie shoves JBL into the ring post. Face first. JBL is thrown over the Spanish announce table. Eddie chokes JBL with the camera cable, and JBL is begging for mercy. Right hands by Eddie. Eddie is just all over JBL. JBL thinks about leaving, but Eddie makes the decision for him. Eddie clobbers JBL off the barricades and ring apron. Eddie talks trash to the challenger, and he steps on JBL's face repeatedly. JBL finally mounts some offense after sending Eddie into the still steps. You know, I didn't realize how jarring the size difference between these guys were either. Let me just say, mm -hmm. JBL is really, ginormous. Really stark contrast. He's a big daddy, but it doesn't look out of place for Eddie to, you know, manhandle him to some degree. Like I don't, I'm not taken out of it. Like Eddie's just, he's ginormous himself. Like those muscles don't really fit his frame. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah. No, I'm with you. Uh, uh, yeah. He looks good, but he was not good, unfortunately. No. So we get right hands by JBL. Eddie gets bounced off the announce table. And he fires up before JBL gives him a big boot. We get a side headlock takedown by JBL. Eddie escapes, but JBL shoulder blocks Eddie. 
Another side headlock takedown by JBL. Another shoulder block by JBL. Eddie nails two quick arm drags, which sends JBL scurrying to the floor. Eddie tries for a plancha, but JBL catches Eddie for a last call fallaway slam on the floor. <laughs> Michael Cole here says, Yeah, that's, that's only a thin layer of padding. There's concrete floor under there. Yeah, yeah, that was okay. Okay, Michael. Okay, butthole. <laughs> Eddie's up first, hammering away on JBL before JBL digs into his low bag of tricks, giving Eddie a spagingo. <laughs> Onto the announce table. That's how you know this is heated. Yeah, trying to he's really trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. We get a neck breaker by JBL. He goes for the cover, but only good for two. JBL applies a bear hug when Eddie pokes the eyes of JBL to escape. Irish whips into the corners by Eddie. I really liked that spot. He just keeps Irish whipping him into uh, opposing corners. That was neat. He's trying to beat him. Trying to beat him up. Right hands by Latino Heat. We get a drop kick by Eddie into the three amigos attempt, but JBL blocks the third with a knee. He goes for the clothesline from hell, but it's dodged. He goes for a powerbomb, but it's blocked as well. Eddie then turns around, goes to run into the ropes, but he runs into the referee by accident. So some shenanigans are about to ensue. And you may be oh wondering. my goodness. You may be wondering up to this point. Hey, was it Don Marie's thong that got this a TVMA rating? <laughs> no, it wasn't. No. Eddie gets on JBL's evil level and dishes out a spagingo of his own to the floor. These are just regular spagingos, friends. These guys are out for blood. Eddie rams JBL's head off the ring apron over the announcer's table. Then JBL grabs a chair. And in one of the most vicious chair shots ever, knocks Eddie out with a massive shot. Eddie is then, on camera, bleeding like a faucet. There's so much. This is where the match gains its fame and its TVMA rating. And you're thinking, oh, how bad is he bleeding? It is one of the most graphic scenes in wrestling history. Oh, God. Yeah, it's honestly, it's like, it's honestly just disgusting how much he's bleeding. Like, oh, God. The crowd collectively gasp as we see Eddie just covered by his own blood. And I'm looking at this. I had this DVD back in the day. So I had seen this match before. But I'm like, I thought it happened close to the end. And I'm looking at the time. It's like, we still got 15 minutes. Yeah, there's a lot to go. So Eddie is dripping like a, like a faucet with 15 minutes at least to go in this match. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Okay. JBL is punishing Eddie with right hands with a huge shot of still steps to the head by JBL. Eddie is reeling and he, he, he comes to a knee and immediately as his head is like over the floor, you just see a puddle of blood mm -hmm. all like over. Every time he would, every time he would stop for a moment and catch his breath, poor. as soon as he moved, there would just be a notable, just dark red puddle of blood under him. Very graphic imagery. JBL calls for the clothesline from hell and it connects. But the referee is down. JBL tries reviving the referee. 
JBL beats on the referee trying to wake him while a new referee slides in. One, two, Eddie kicks out. The, <gasps> the crowd erupts in Eddie chants. JBL tries for the clothesline again. Eddie dodges and takes out the referee with a massive hit. Powerbomb by JBL, but Eddie kicks out at two and a half once the other referee had been revived. Eddie continues to stay alive while JBL cannot believe his luck. JBL applies a sleeper, and you can just see JBL's arm get covered by Eddie's blood. Like, um, definitely towards later ends, but I'm sure at this point, like, the mat is just covered. It looks like they just had, like, a whole night of just hardcore matches from how much blood is in there just from Eddie. It's insane. Eddie counters with a back suplex. JBL clubs Eddie with no effect. And Eddie starts doing his best Hogan impression by shimmying. And it looks so creepy with all the blood. JBL looks like he's thinking, this guy is insane. I could only imagine if, like, watching this live, like, you'd, I'd, I'd have fully expected Eddie to pass out at some point. Right. I, he's, he loses so much blood. I swear by the end of it, I haven't gone back and looked, but I, I bet you he's, like, a, a notable shade lighter by the end of this. If you have not seen this, I don't think we can communicate well enough just how much Eddie was bleeding. Like, it's something, if you're if you're listening to this and never seen this match, go back and watch it. It is, unless you're, unless you're queasy, don't do it then. Uh, yeah, <laughs> if you don't like blood, maybe skip this one, but. JBL catches Eddie for a last call. Eddie counters for a DDT. He climbs to the top rope and misses a frog splash. JBL rolls out to grab the championship and a chair. JBL throws in the chair to distract the referee. JBL is low blowed before the championship shot. Eddie, and Eddie waffles JBL with the belt blatantly in front of the referee. So JBL wins by disqualification. However, Eddie Guerrero retains the WWE championship and the crowd is not happy about it. I'd say definitely it's probably the definitely the best match of the night. I like heel JBL. Um, I like that he's just like, I don't know, he's still just like a hard ass, but at least now he has a bit more character. I liked just them, they're back and forth. Just Eddie just getting demolished. And then, gosh, but it's just the biggest highlight, yeah, is just him getting just bashed open and just gushing all that blood. And, like, I'd say for, for people going back and watching it, it's probably, like, Maybe get potentially a bit too distracting. Like, it just takes away from the match itself because you're just concerned for Eddie or just going, wow, that's a lot of blood. But I think, you know, definitely just knowing that, hey, you know, he doesn't die from this blood loss. It's all good. You know, I can enjoy it for what it is. And, you know, I liked it. Well, not to next uh, November. Right. Yeah. But, uh, so, yeah, totally. Uh, I, I definitely give it a, a, a thumbs up. Aside from the ending, I'm not a, a fan of the the DQ stuff. I don't know. It just take the wind out of the sails of the crowd. I know they did post-match stuff, but I don't think that necessarily makes up for it, but still, I, I have to give them credit. It's thumbs up. I, I loved I loved the post-match. I thought the post-match actually kind of made it because I was like, how... Because it's clear that JBL should be Eddie. Right? Like it, he's, a, he's a physical specimen. He's got every major advantage. For all all intents and purposes, he should beat Eddie Guerrero, and on top of that, he started cheating, so he really should beat Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. And so for Eddie Eddie to hold on to the title at least for one more month, 
Like that, it works for me. And it was also the only match on the card that didn't end by pinfall. So like whether or not there was some shenanigans or not, like this is the only match on the card that, that ended in DQ. So I'm okay with it. I, it was a thumbs up for me. I'm really looking forward to, to seeing this, uh, this feud continue. I agree with you guys. Thumbs up. This match was fantastic. And it did well to put JBL, the guy who got no reaction in his entrance, mind you, over as a viable hill. And Eddie is the best at this point, man. He is, the, he is carrying SmackDown despite what the weekly ratings say. He's doing amazing as the champion, in my opinion. I think this match is a classic. I think it is. It's just good, man. Eddie, he's just the best. Mm-hmm. It's about as eloquent as I can put it. He's just the best. But I suppose if you hate JBL, you will probably not like the match. I don't know. I guess people saw it the same way I saw Baron Corbin retiring Kurt Angle. I'm like, that shouldn't happen. <laughs> right. I don't know. I think that's a little... I think it's more, a bit more than the heat JBL. It's more egregious. <laughs> yeah. After the match, Eddie mauls JBL with the chair. He he. First of all, Eddie mounts punches to JBL. The refs are trying to get him off of JBL, and he won't. He refuses and Eddie Guerrero beats the crap out of JBL with a chair. JBL is bleeding. Eddie's bleeding. There's blood everywhere. And Eddie ultimately hits a frog splash on the challenger. I will say, um, I'm not mad that this finish was a DQ because JBL's just getting started. And it kind of, uh, it kind of holds over until the next match that these two inevitably have. That like, hey, who's the re- who's really going to come out on top? Because uh, at the Great American Bash pay per view coming up, that's the next SmackDown show. They'll have a Texas Bull Rope match, and no DQ. You know, we're going to have a winner no matter what. I I'm kind of excited to see where this goes in that regard. We heard from Jake. Kyle, what do you think about the post match here? Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the DQ thing, it's kind of just more my personal preference. I don't know. Just like on pay-per-view shows, I just think DQs are just kind of odd. I always kind of figured DQs more like a TV thing, but, um, the post, well, it was, it was fun. I mean, definitely JBL was being a little bastard and he, uh, he got what was coming to him. Just like, just those stiff shots back with a chair and the back and forth. It, it was crazy, but it was fun. One thing I want to leave us with is... Once again, Bruce Pritchard, so take it with a grain of salt if you must. <laughs> Kyle, Kyle, noted Bruce Pritchard fan. <laughs> um, he talked about this on his podcast, Something to Wrestle. And he remarked on the incident that Eddie was reluctant to go to the hospital after this. And, you know, as someone who had the DVD, you can actually see some of the brief footage of it where medical staff are pleading with Eddie, telling him, hey, you lost a lot of blood. You need help right now. So I, I wish I had the DVD to see that, but I do remember that from back in the day. Um, Is the DVD expensive? Too expensive for your collection? I don't think so. I just I didn't have time to, to get it. I thought I had it with me, but I don't. Uh, but anyway, um, Bruce Pritchard, he said that he was finally able to convince Eddie to go to the hospital after a lot of like reluctance. And Eddie said... Will you go with me? And I just thought that was sweet. <laughs> and Bruce Pritchard said, yeah. yeah, I'll go with you. He goes, no! And he just slams the ambulance door shut. 
Um, and so later on, actually, Eddie says, can Chavo go with me instead? And he's like, of course. And um, No, that that I can't accommodate. He goes, no, I'm going with you. <laughs> Which is I it? Is it no or is he? Story. <laughs> Pritchard went on to say that Vince McMahon hated it. He thought it was too much and that it took away from the match. And I just sincerely disagree with that. But hey, different strokes for different folks. And that... Vince McMahon now. Yeah, for real. With your billion dollar wrestling empire that we're talking about. <laughs> and that was Judgment Day 2004. All in all, I gotta say, I'm pretty mixed on this show. There's a lot of lulls in this and parts that just don't jive well. But that finish was... Chef's kiss. What do you guys think about the show? Personally, uh, I feel this is a good example of a one-match pay-per-view. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not much really to take away. Um, even like the more main event players, aside from the main event itself, uh, just didn't really feel like they got a chance to shine as good as they could. Um, Eddie Guerrero, JBL, definitely the absolute best match. I suggest everybody go and watch it. But everything else... It's either middling or just outright not for me. So overall, the show, I got to give it a thumbs down. For me, it's a thumbs middle. Like you, you talked about it is a it is a, a one match show, but uh, you know, you heard the fans pop quite a few times in my opinion, and I, I think that there were there were definite definite moments in the show that bring it up, but it's still it's still a, a thumbs middle for me. Yeah, that was Judgment Day 2004. Please join us next time as we will be reviewing Bad Blood 2004. Jake, what can we expect from Bad Blood 2004? Boy, we've got some stuff to talk about on Bad Blood 2004. In our opening match, we have Chris Benoit and Edge going up against La Resistance for the World Tag Team Championship. Oh, enough France. Yeah, more France. We have we, we. We have Tyson Tomko challenging Chris Jericho in a match. The problem solver. Yeah, we've got Randall Keith Orton going up against Shelton Benjamin for the Intercontinental Championship. That should be fun. Uh, Trish Stratus is going up against Victoria Gale Kim and Lita in a fatal four-way for the WWE Women's Championship. Hmm. Eugene and Coach are going to have a match. No. Back-to-back Ooh. pay-per-view matches with Coach. <laughs> yeah, Chris ben- Christopher Benoit will be facing Kane in a singles match for the World Heavyweight Championship. Oh, that's right. And he he your... pulled double duty. Yeah. And in your main event, you said duty. Uh, <laughs> Triple H is going up against Shawn Michaels in a Hell in a Cell match. That kind of sounded like a one-match show, too. I don't know. Yep. Yippity-boo. I, I had that DVD as well, and oh, that match is so good. But um, yes, please join us next time on our review of Bla- Bad Blood 2004. In the meantime, if you can't get enough of that ruthless goodness, you can follow us on social media. Follow us on Instagram, as aforementioned, Ruthless Aggression Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, at Ruthless Pod, and YouTube, the Ruthless Aggression Podcast. Jake, where can they follow you in the meantime? You can find me on my show with Alex and Jake. Just search that on the internet. You'll find us. It's some good stuff. 
Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at JakeTaper541 or at Crash Landis. I flip back and forth between you know, which reality I'm a member of. Well, which is it today? Today I'm Crash Landis. <laughs> Ginga. Kyle, where can they follow you? Well, long-time listeners will know uh, I have not uh, been too active on social media, but in a big update, I now have a Twitter. So you can follow me now at RuthlessPodKyle. You can uh, at me and tell me fun little things, and I'll be sure to interact. So hit me up. Ooh, daddy. Heck has frozen over. Kyle is on Twitter. That's right, boy. And I'm only going to give really controversial hot takes and uh, call everybody a jerk, and then uh, I want to at wrestlers and uh, tell them that they're swear words like I know them. <laughs> and claim things about their lives that they have no way of knowing. Claim, claim that I know more about their lives than they do. Oh, boy. And if you feel so inclined to, we used to say you could donate to the show. And that is still true, but it's going to look different now as we are launching... Our Patreon. Ooh, yeah, daddy. So, we're going to start doing some some big things here. And if you feel compelled to give some money to the Ruthless Aggression Podcast, you could get some pretty cool perks. Let me, let me, let me pull it up, though. For simply $3 a month, you can join the Spagingo Squad. And with that, you get early access to episodes... For $10 a month, this is where it gets juicy, you can join the Skeddy Squadron. Or how would Big Show say that? Squadron. So if you like Skeddy and you like the Ruthless Aggression Podcast, for $10 a month, you get early access to episodes. You get exclusive content, such as bonus episodes, bonus series, and discounts on merch when that becomes available. And if you fancy... And you wear pink undies, like Scott Steiner, for $35 a month. Hear me out. I know that that may sound just a little bit stupid. You can join the Fancy Pink Undies Club. And with that, you get everything listed in prior tiers. You get one Ruthless Aggression Podcast t-shirt. You get monthly AMAs. And of course, like I said... Everything listed in the $10 tier. So bonus series, bonus episodes that you can't get anywhere else. I think that sounds like a pretty dang good deal. I think I'm going to join the Fancy Pink Undies Club. Oh, hell yeah. So if you feel so inclined to, give to our Patreon. We'd love to interact with you on there. And we thank those who have donated to our show in the past, such as Amy Dalton, Nate the Effin' Great, and Mr. Fritz. But in the meantime, for the Ruthless Aggression Podcast, I'm Levi. I'm Kyle. Okay. Reminding you to... Stay ruthless.